Kelvin, I see you talking, but I can't hear you. I don't know if, um, can anybody hear me? Okay. I'm pretty sure you can't hear me. Ooh. I trust you can hear me now. Yes, I can yes, hear yes, you. Yes, yes. Okay, sorry. I don't know what happened. The connection just dipped. Good, 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 good. I went off indeed. <laughs> okay, so just trying to do the, the honesty. So it's good to have our dear friend, Kelvin Chambliss. Uh, Kelvin and I talk quite frequently. Not quite. We talk, we talk very frequently about several things and um, I'm happy to have him around on this call as well. Professor Tego, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Beautiful, beautiful to have you. Um, yes, Tio, how are you doing? How is it going with you? Good, I'm good, Prof. Beautiful, beautiful. So, uh, um, I see, I see, let me see. Um, okay. iPhone. So let's have iPhone connected. Okay. So who is iPhone? Hello, iPhone. You're welcome. Oh, it's dropped off. Okay. Temi, Temi out of Nigeria. How are you doing, Temi? I'm fine. Good evening. Good evening. It's been such a long time. Yes. Thank you. We are back. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we, we really miss you. We missed me. That's good. <laughs> good evening. Long time. It's really, really been a long time to me. And please, who is iPhone? It's important we know, and then we will not call you iPhone. Is that um, Auntie Dinah? Um. No, we can't hear you. Anyway, so let's get uh, let's get started. I think before the call um, gets done, we will get to know who is behind iPhone and all and all and all and all. So let me just share my notes. Let me just share my notes a moment, please. Good. I'm going to do this. Okay. Good, 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 good. Okay, there we go. Okay, so please kindly mute your microphone and um, so that we don't we do not have interruptions from your background. That would be very, very helpful. Um, or I may as well just mute everybody so that we can. All right, 
So let's set sail. So I want to welcome everybody um, this um, day. We, come on, we started this um, year's campaign, should I call it, last week. And it's good to have you connecting. If today is your first time um, um, connecting to this conversation. So this year, I, on my side, I've started with the teaching on rediscovering God's Ecclesia. This is something that has been in my heart for many, 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 many years, many, 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 many years. Way back 2003, when um, the truth concerning the Ecclesia began to emerge to some of us. And so it has been in my heart. Um, I've been looking at it. I've been thinking about it. So we want to learn about the Ecclesia and learn to bring about relevant functional living where we live, where we work, where we play. Because the, the issue of the Ecclesia, yes, there is the place of a body, but when these bodies, these bodies dispersed in different locations come together to um, um, legislate, decree a thing and put forward a matter in the things of God. These people go out there and leave it and force it. So we really want to discover the power, the potency of the ecclesia and leave it out, express it. So let's, let's go back and look at something we started last week. We remind ourselves and then we push forward. Uh, possibly I may jump into the second um, the second slide for this night. Please, you can admit, uh, you can admit on my behalf, any of my calls, you can admit on my behalf, um, people seeking to join the call. So let's, let's go back and look at rediscovering God's Ecclesia, pioneering sight. And the issue we are dealing with is sight of Christ, a sight of Christ. I have quite significant amount of information to share with you uh, in dealing with sight of Christ. So let's set sail. Let's remind ourselves. Let's remind ourselves. We said one of the major processes that must take place within us and must continue to happen is that we must have a more and a more refined, clear, distinct sight and understanding of Christ. If we're going to be dealing with the issue of Ecclesia, then we need to step up in terms of clarity in understanding, clarity of who Christ is and what he really constitutes. If we fail to embrace that, we may not discover fully our functionality. So the issue that we're dealing with regarding clarity of sight, distinct sight, understanding of, 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 of Christ is that is that of we are dealing with a movement from religion, religious positions, belief system, and its mindless, never-ending ritualistic ceremonials to a place of revelatory life where life is governed by the revelation of Christ, where life is at the entrance of the, um, um, the flow of the revelation of Christ, not not based on traditions and belief systems. So 
there is this thing I put here. If you take, if you take a cursory moment and you surf through the internet and you look for photos of Jesus Christ, you'll be amazed at the number of these photos that you find. Different postures, different looks, and, and all. And these are some of the things that have informed the way we see Christ and relate to him. Other than we view him from that excellent perspective, that stellar perspective that God has established him to be or who Christ is. And we're going to be going after that. Now, um, there's a story I introduced here, which I call the Jebus story. I will skip it for now. It's from one of the episodes of The Simpsons. Those of you who knows about The Simpsons, he has quite a bit of episodes. And is this episode called Missionary Impossible, Missionary Impossible. I will skip this and come back to it because I still have it down there somewhere. So let's go further and look at pioneering side. Let's go back to the test. In Matthew chapter 16, the verse one through 14, in the New Living Translation. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Please pay attention to the conversation. They came to him demanding for a miraculous sign to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. So prove to us your authority. And he goes talking about red sky and all of that and the ability to de design the sky and the ability to design the times and seasons. We said, prove to us with a miraculous sign, the place of your authority. Then in the verse four, Jesus continues and says, only an evil adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is a sign of the prophet Jonah, is a sign of the prophet Jonah. Um, some translation, I think the original translation say the sign of Jonah, it carries some gravitas, the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Let's read further, the verse 13 down to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and or one of the prophets. Verse 15, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? So he, he asked the question, who do men say that I am? Then he zeroed in, who do you say that I am? Now, they gave a very conflicting perspective. Some said um, John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. And others say one of the prophets. But he said, with you in particular, what do you say of me? Simon, or some, some would say Simon, Peter, answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed son of uh, Simon, son of John, 
or Jonah, son of, son of Jonah, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. I want you to just be underscoring this. Is. You did not learn this thing from any human being. The verse um, um, 18, uh, the verse 17 and 18, listen to it again. Jesus answered, the new King James, Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I put in there the benevolence of the father. We'll come to that. The verse 18, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Um, the original translation, we started talking about this last week. The original translation, the word that Jesus employed was the word ecclesia. In um, a week or two, in this discourse, I'm going to spend time drilling back into the expansive nature of the ecclesia. And we begin to look at the various expressions of the ecclesia and how do we apply the principles of this life of an ecclesia to our world. It says that I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus was talking about building trust, a territorial power, a kingdom advance. I mean, he's talking about a territorial community that will not bow down to any pressure from the other side of the world, from the other realm. In the verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on, on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So here we see divine and human partnership coming to legislative authority. So then Jesus warned them sternly and said, do not tell anybody I am the Messiah. I, I, I often wonder why Jesus will do that. So let's look at the issue of pioneering side. The whole issue we underscored last week was that there was the point where there was a complete search in search of Christ. Humanity was looking for Christ. At the time Jesus posted a question to them, who do people say that I am? But who do you say that I, that I am? The whole world was on the lookout for Christ. But there seems to be a very wrong perception as to how he will come. And what were they searching for? They were searching for this Christ who will come. They sought him on the basis, on, on this basis, on a political level, not on a sacramental level. They were, they were not looking for a priest to come and kill goats and lambs as it was in the Old Testament. No, they were looking for a political Messiah who would come and say, the kingdom is restored. And so we said that these people asked giving Jesus, when will you restore the kingdom? And they said, this is not in my will. Political level, because like I said, they need somebody to sit upon the throne of David and change the arrangement of human life and human existence. But Christ was in their midst. Political level, because they wanted one who restored the kingdom back to Israel. These people were searching for a Messiah. Now the Messiah arrived and their search was actually for this arrangement of life. We underscored this last week, this arrangement of life, where the scripture says that the desire of, of, of the nations shall come. And he is coming, this man is coming. He said, I will shake the heavens and I'll shake the earth. 
If you read the Haggai, uh, Haggai scripture, it says, I will shake the heavens and I'll shake the earth. If you read the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter um, 12, it says that I will shake the heavens and I'll shake the earth. And, um, and, and because we are receiving a kingdom, let us serve God with, with, with a holy fear. What were they looking for? What arrangement were they looking for? They were looking for a Messiah who would come and make them relate to God in a particular way. They were looking for this Messiah in a particular way. They were looking for this Messiah who would come to rearrange existence of man in terms of how one relates to the other, how we relate to fellow men. They were looking for a Messiah who would come to relate to, who would come and teach them how to relate to the environment. Now, if you, please permit me and follow me carefully because the foundation and the basis of Ecclesia is Christ. And so if we do not discuss him, we do not discover him, his expansive nature, we may miss it. Now, if you look into the Old Testament, the first five books, God gave them laws, laws unto how they relate to him, fellow human being, and even the environment. For example, he tells them that if somebody, I mean, back even then, if somebody, um, excuse my language, excuse my friend, defecates, they should dig their ground and cover it. There was a whole lot of environmental um, issues and arrangement and how uh, there was a whole lot of issues of environmental arrangement and how life ought to exist in that realm. What were they looking for? The Messiah Christ and the arrangement of life. They sought for a Messiah who will shift social systems, how social systems ought to be regulated. They were looking for this Messiah who would declare a new justice system to them how this whole thing was going to be, how the economic systems was going to be regulated, and how even military systems were going to be operated. They sought for a Messiah how, on how a political system of Israel would be governed. And very interesting, David had prophesied in Psalm 2 that I have set, I have established, I have enthroned, I have installed, the old King James says, I have installed my king in Zion. I have installed my king in Zion. And so the, the very wrong understanding, the very wrong shaping of understanding has impacted, has impacted the way we even operate. Talk about prophets, talk about pastors, the whole understanding. Sometimes we take a portion of this Messiah and we just run with it, not a holistic um, interpretation of picture. So in search of Christ, let's go back to these things Jesus began to underscore. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Jesus was provoking several things. Now flow with me and, and let's go. Let's go a bit deeper. Jesus was provoking a movement towards seeing him properly. That question, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? He was provoking a movement towards seeing him properly, a movement towards a proper understanding, an inquiry, a search, a diligent search. What was Jesus chasing after? He was provoking and asking questions. How do you see me? How do you perceive me? Do you see me properly? Are you seeing me properly? Are you really aware that I am the one who is this Messiah that is supposed to be in your midst? He was provoking their hearts. He was causing their hearts to be, to be attuned anew towards a fresh understanding. 
Jesus was going after. Do you really understand accurately who I am? Do you really appreciate who I am? Do you have a complete picture of who I am? Those were the things that he was provoking by asking this question. Jesus was dealing with the issue of the prevailing spirit, a religious spirit, and what is called the spirit of the age. Because the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded their mind. So Jesus was fearing, fearing, fearing and breaking through the veil that hold people bound from understanding the exact shape of the dealings of God and his purposes. Who do men say that I am? And Jesus said to them, I'm sorry, and they answered him, some said John the Baptist and all. Real confusion. How can one person now be John the Baptist? Others are saying Elijah. Others are saying one Jeremiah, another prophet and something. That is a place of real confusion. Now, Jesus asked a very personal question. Who do you, who do you mark? Who do you mark says, I am the son of man. I am. And so you want to put that question to yourself. Who do I personally say that this Jesus is? Now, this question, remember, is coming in the midst of opposing and confusing views of who this Christ is. So, again, he is provoking and pushing them further. How do we see him? And the issue is that as these questions emerge, is there a different spirit of sight that is emerging in us? Because this is supposed to produce in us a different and a brand new sight on the horizon of Christ. He, he was asking this question and was provoking the issues of an evolving view in us. Are we seeing a different view of God in the midst of the masses of what the masses are pursuing? In the midst of what people call Christ, what people call church, what people call a ministry, what people call whatever that we may embrace. Are we having a different view of God evolving in our hearts? That question, who do you personally say that I am, was provoking. Christ was dealing with the issue of the authority of personal conviction inside conflicting views. Let me repeat that. Christ was dealing with the authority of personal conviction inside opposing views. Re just imagine you stand in this place and there is very, um, there is a loud noise, not just noise, a cacophony of noise, cacophony of noise. And it's really, 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 really challenging to make a clear distinction in this single voice that is coming straight to you. Because in that atmosphere, voices are crisscrossing. Just imagine, do you know that as you are sitting in your room now, there are several wave and frequencies running around you. I mean, there is CNN running around you. There is BBC running around you. There is GTV, Ghana TV running around you. There is something running around. There is this radio and there's Al Jazeera, um, all kinds of frequency. There is somebody's telephone call that is frequency across you and across your room. But you need to speak to one particular person and you need to hit one particular server that is called Christ, ultimately. You need to reach out to me. You know, those days, and I don't know if it still happens, 
you dial somebody's number, you call the person you're on the phone with the person, you are talking to the person, then you start hearing another conversation in the background where it's as if another person has also made a call to another person and that's that the, the entire calls have merged together and they've created real atmosphere of conflicting views and confusion. And Jesus was, was in the midst of the conflicting views asking for the issue of the authority of personal conviction, authority of personal conviction. So it is very easy to be at the ebb and flow of the prevailing general concept. Everybody is, is saying he is Elijah. Everybody is saying he is that. And you can be swayed by that. It is very easy to articulate the general view, but to zero in on the specificity requires a departure from the prevailing school of thought. But who do you say that I am? There is a requirement that we, for us to come into the specificity of who Christ is and what he represents in his totality, that we begin to make a real departure, a walk away, a movement away from all the drama, from all the music, from all the frequency, shut everything down and zero in on him and perceive him. And so that question, who do you say that I am? And I want you to put this question to yourself, your personal self. Who do I say that I am? Because we are all on, in a, on a journey of, of personal discovery of him. The scripture says that strive, make this, uh, make your election sure. It says that fight for this, this salvation is um, you, 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 need to, you need to fight for your own salvation with fear and trembling. That place of personal authoritative conviction of who Christ is that nobody can take away from you is something that Christ is underscoring. Remember where the background is. The background is, these guys came and said, prove to us who your authority, your authority really is. I said, you guys, you really know how to design the weather, but you cannot design the signs of the times. You cannot really design the one that is in charge of weather, the times, the seasons, and who is here. And he described them as an adulterous, a very pervert uh, generation, a generation that is chasing after one sign. And then at the pendulum, they move to go after another sign and never zeroing in on the Christ. These people lack personal authoritative conviction of the arrival of Christ on the scene. Who do you personally say that I am? Away from Elijah and all of that. Let's go to this issue upon your side. But here is Peter. Peter, in the midst of all the conflicting views, in the midst of all the drama, the sound, the music, the noise, Peter stood still and made a complete departure from this reality. And he said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And that is the place we, are, we want to be. That is the place we want to um, experience, where we will be able, because everybody is saying something, but Peter authoritatively said, you, you, you are the son of the living God. Remember Jesus said, who do men say? I, the son of man, the son of man. Peter elevated the whole conversation and said, come on, this is beyond son of man issues. This one is the son of the living God. This is the, this is the point again. It takes real 
courage to put forth a personal conviction in the midst of what is popular opinion, what is acceptable, what is politically correct. It takes real conviction. It takes real, 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 real conviction that you'll be vilified, you'll be called names, you'll be called, okay. Do you remember blind Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, shut up. Son of David, have mercy on me. You're not ready to call him. When Jesus, when the loud sound and the cry for sight was so overwhelming for me, he stopped and he said, bring him to me. And the very people who were saying, shut up. I said, come on, he's calling you. And they helped him towards Christ. It takes a real personal conviction. Look at blind Bartimaeus again. The Pharisees, even um, 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 the general populace, apart from the disciples who would have had that encounter with Christ, who knew who he is, this blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, could stand in the midst of this confusion and say, son of David, when the Pharisees could not recognize him, when every other person could not recognize him. Sight is important. Pioneer sight is important. Personal conviction is, is important. Authoritative conviction is important. So to leave anything we know, to strike out into the unknown, takes courage and great faith. And something about pioneering faith, a pioneering kind of faith, but we were not going to be talking about pioneering kind of faith, but, but that is something that is required. And uh, when you think about Abraham, think about, think about Sarah. Think about Abraham, think about Sarah. Let me give you a reference. To, to just read on and think expansively. Go to Hebrews 11. Read a reference on Abraham. Pay attention. Pay attention to every single detail. Read the, 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 the New Living Translation. Look at the language. And look at the state of Abraham as a person. The age, the numbers. Sarah as a person, the age, the numbers. And God says that I'm going to make you great and you're going to have a great nation, and the whole body was dead at the point. It takes real pioneering kind of faith, real pioneering kind of sight to believe God and strike out into the unknown and begin to build something for the purposes of God. Let's see a conclusion on this. Then I can, I can flip to the next, the next session. Maybe I'll do three slides on that, and then we can get into a conversation. We can get into a conversation. So there is this thing that is so tragic this thing that is so tragic, the absence of the, the, the real knowledge of the Lord has proven to be the most tragic factor in the church or in the church's history. In the history of church, when you look at church from the first century, when um, the Holy Spirit hit and there were 120 in the upper room legislating and bringing the government of God into the earth that they, they were spoken of as these people turn the world upside down, but we say upside right, isn't it? When all of that happened, church entered into the second century, the persecutions broke and church entered into the second century and third century, the fourth century, the Constantine re regime. And all of that era, you realize that um, there was lost truth, there was lost ministries, lost truth positions, lost discoveries, things were um, uh, disappeared. I'll give you a quick example. In, um, in the 11th century, there was a guy called John Ouse, John Ouse in the Bohemia. And John Ouse happened to be, I think, studying or lecturing in, um, in England. And he had this powerful, he was 
teaching. He was a lecturer. He was teaching so powerfully. And some of the things he taught, um, some students who had traveled from different parts of the world would go back to their country discussing these things. And John Woos, who was from Bohemia, um, was prevailed upon by the Mindivia Roman Catholic Church to denounce and recount the very things that he teaches and believes. It was John, John Woos's work that also led to the provocation in Martin Luther. At that point, at that point in the 11th century, through the 12th century, through the 13th century, 14th century, the 15th century, there was, I'm just giving one example. There was something that was lost, which was this position of the judge shall live by faith. They practiced something called pinas. This pinas, you, you could either chew gravel, or you see what people are doing in Southern Africa and even some parts of Ghana, where they are mixing dirty oil, they are mixing uh, all kinds of white oil that is used for machine oil and all of those things. The very real knowledge of the Lord, the discovery of Christ in the space he occupies and the wonders of his cross, the accomplishment in that, the statement it is finished discovery has the absence of that has proven to be one of the most tragic factors in the church's history. So you see people, every fresh, look, every fresh uprising of an abnormal condition, it, it has disclosed the appalling, the appalling, sorry, the appalling weakness among believers because of this lack. It is time to invest into a very personal, who do you say that I am? Let me make another strong statement. It is, it is time not to defer your discernment to your pastor. Many people defer their discernment to their pastors, to their leaders, and refuse to step into their capacity. If blind Bartimaeus had continued to defer his position to the laws of the Pharisees and continue to wear that piece of cloth that identify him as a blind beggar, I tell you the truth, he would have shut up at the very first sound. Shut up, you cannot call upon him. But beyond all the greats, he refused to defer his discernment and his status to these people in society. So waves of error, the swing at the pendulum to some fresh popular acceptance have, have, have swept away multitudes and left them in spiritual rooms. I mean, I mean in the Ghanaian case, um, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, um, 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 and I emphasize that you see that this thing is really tragic and it's, it's really happened. The stories that um, if you are outside Ghana, you may, you, may, you, may just Google, you may just Google issues of some false prophets on, on, on the internet, on YouTube, and hear some of the confessions. Some of them we know. Some of them we know because we have people who are connected to them, who relates to us, who come to tell us the stories. Who even told us the stories years before they went public? Two years, three years before these things went public. But who are you to go stay, say to them? Because they believe that you do not have a mega edifice. And that is what um, re the religious spirit has done to, to the church. They believe that the ecclesia is, is a mega building, um, it's a physical location, and therefore, if you do not locate yourself in that physical space, God cannot hear your prayers. And even if the prayers that are raised 
um, um, does, not, does not relate to your need and you cannot pray it to satisfy yourself, you know, the self-principle is brought to the fore. The ecclesia, we'll come back to that point when I start talking about the expression of ecclesia. The ecclesia has no resemblance to religion. So we have to deal with this malady, this huge amount of ignorance, spiritual ignorance. We have to break it. The, the, the Bible says in Jeremiah 9, it says that if anybody have any hope, any boast, let it be that I know the Lord. If you have anything to boast about, not houses, not cars, not raiment. Uh, John the Baptist says, he that have two garments, share it, give one to the other. Break it. I mean, issues, issues when the kingdom imparts, the, the emphasis goes, goes on the right things. We have to deal with the ignorance of stopping short. Where ignorance overcomes us, where ignorance, we have to fight. Look, if you have any competition, if, if um, um, uh, we men of God, we have to stand in the space to fight. And like I say always, I am in competition with myself, my ignorance, and my pursuit is Christ, not any man. So this is where you will stand. To be right with God, and this was said by A.W. Tozer. I don't know why his name doesn't appear somewhere. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. Immediately you decide to stand on the other side, you will, you will really have a challenge. So uh, this is where, this is where um, um, the first session brings us. And I'm just thinking, um, okay, let's unmute the microphones, let's interact a bit. And then I'm going to go back and do about three slides and deal with a very important thing before we, we jump out of here. So here we go, here we go. So who is there? Who wants to, I think somebody's unmuted. You want to share some thoughts? iPhone, you're unmuted. iPhone, you're unmuted. Okay, I'm sure. So any thoughts, anything that has jumped at you? What have you heard? Let's get into the discourse. To be right with God is to be in conflict with men. Okay. So let's, let's just move forward. Okay, so Godwin, Godwin, you are muted, please go. Okay, uh, that was some good points you raised there. Uh, so I wanna ask a question. Okay. I, 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 I've, I've always believed that uh, if the believer refuses to be uh, a bit of uh, inquisitive, mm -hmm. you will be told what Christ is, mm -hmm. or only believe what flies around. Mm -hmm. So at what point in the believer's life do we then begin to say, I want to know Christ? And that what, what exactly about Christ do we even start with in the first place? Mm -hmm. Because I, I have I have listened to men of God preach, but I have always believed that 
a lot of these people teach well, but I think that the teachings that we hear from the pulpit should spark a conversation, mm -hmm. but not in themselves become what it is. Because sometimes you are in church and a statement is made from the pulpit and it sparks up something in you. And that thing that it sparks up in you begins to now carry you into another dimension all, altogether. For all that has been taught, you only had one, you only had one statement that came to you alive. Mm -hmm. And you and, and you were able, and by that, you begin to search. So I don't think that the teachings in themselves that come from the pulpit should be the conclusion of the matter. Beautiful. But it should be the foundation upon which we build our search mm. in Christ. Mm. So at what point in the believer's life do we really say that, let me go into, for me personally, that's what I've realized. That's why I have to go into that example of. And so at what point in the believer's life do we say that, look, let me now search what is right? Because all things are flying all over the place. Mm -hmm. All sorts of uh, uh, conceptions and, uh, and principles are being raised out of the Bible. Some of these, I, you don't even, cannot even vouch for the authenticity of it and all that. So what, what can really, as Christ asks them, who, who do you say I am? Mm -hmm. So why, where in the believer's life do you now say who Christ is? Beautiful. The question is to all of us. The question is to all of us. At what point do I start saying I am discovering Christ and this is who he is to me? <laughs> at what point? Kevin, you can go. I see yeah. you. Thank you, Mark. It's so good to be here today. And I really appreciate what you shared here. Um, here in, uh, in the U.S., uh, when, you know, in the malls, um, there are places where there are maps, directories, uh, to find out, if you're unfamiliar with the mall, where to find your store based, based on your present proximity. And you will see a, a little mark a little red uh indicator that says you are here okay you are here we always have to begin with where we are mm. to determine how we get to where where what we're looking for is in proximity to where we stand mm. and so um looking at that jesus was asking like you said you know who do men say that i am where are you know where where are they where are they with that and then where are you and so i think the reason here why it's important for us to see christ because uh using isaiah chapter six to see christ is to bring transformation to myself mm -hmm. i must be able to see him he must be high and lifted up and when he is high and lifted up in my sight then my sight is calibrated, I am transformed, and that's where I begin to be like, yeah. So I want to thank you so much for this. And you, you cited one of my favorite 
Bible stories with Bartimaeus in uh, Mark 10 and 46, but I just really love it. It's so good to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Somebody wants to add to that, wants to add to that. I think um, a couple of things I'm going to share in them, um, uh, maybe three, four slides following, would say one or two things to that. But um, Kevin has raised something very important to that in, uh, inquiry Godwin made. You need to start from where you are. So let's ask the question, where are you? God comes to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? I mean, it's very funny. This God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-everything, comes and he asks a man like um, Jacob, what is your name? Now, the question, uh, the thing I've often said is that you think God does not know the man's name, Jacob? Do you think God did not know where Adam was positioned, that red dot in the midst of the mall, the garden? God had absolute conviction, beyond conviction. God can see him and God was right standing by him. But God asked a very fundamental question of positioning. Where are you? And I think it's important that we begin to ask ourselves those questions because um, next week, as I begin to teach and I will underscore certain strong realities which will not deliver the mandate of the ecclesia, which will not deliver even the broad purposes of God. If we decide to stay in such an environment, better ideas and nice ideas and nice things and without questioning and doubting the default, without going in and asking, where am I? Why am I here? Because you would, you, you would realize that for the father to step in and begin to answer the question, when he was not even invited, it was the issue of inquiry. Who do men say that the son of, I, the son of man, am? Who do you say, but you, but, but is that is a conjunction, but you, but you. So where are you in your journey? That is something you need to underscore. Where are you? in your journey. And it's important that we start from where we are. The point is the entrance of a matter very often determines its end, its process through its end. And so it is important that if we want to enact new beginnings, we begin to ask the question, where I am, what is it to me and where is he and how I must get there. So ask yourself that question. Where are you in this journey? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Any more comment? Any more comment? Any more thoughts? Claudia, do you have anything on your mind? Claudia out of Chile, do you have anything on your mind? All right. Or, Actually, okay. yeah, Claudia, go, go. No, I was just like here thinking about these questions that are so deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they're so so deep because I know I like I know I know the Lord mm -hmm. when I when I first met him and I first 
had an encounter with him and with his Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But then uh, um, a period of, I guess, religiosity started mm -hmm. in my life mm -hmm. with all this movement that I, I told you about. I was in this movement, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. legalistic and religious. And maybe I lost sight of Jesus, the, the first one, the, the, I mean, the from the first time I, I, I started knowing him and then I got lost in maybe in religion. And so I'm like, Lord, please show me where I am so I can, so I can know how to, like what my next steps are. Mm. Mm. And like I told you one time, I think I feel like a baby, mm. even though I know the Lord. I mean, I, I, I got baptized and I received the Holy Spirit and everything 18 years ago. But, but still, I feel like I'm restarting uh, the journey again out of all this religion. And so I know I feel sometimes a little bit lost, mm. but, I, I, but hopeful, mm. you know, because mm. like you said in one of the examples, the Lord knew, I don't know if it was Jacob or who, which, which uh, character you mentioned, which mm -hmm. person. He, he, uh, like the Lord Jacob Adam God was Adam asking yeah like where him. exactly where are you and of course the Lord knew where he was but he wanted Adam to 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 respond and to know where he was like he wanted Adam to know where he was and so it's important like you said I don't have the answer for myself right now because I think it's something that cannot be said by anybody but by the lord himself mm -hmm. to reveal that to our to ourselves and and yeah and, and so that we know what the next steps are Beautiful. for every every one of us and to keep ourselves humble before him so that he can really show us even if we have to go to like basic one or level one in the journey it doesn't matter as long as he's with us and we are in the the right journey with him. I know my thoughts maybe are a bit basic, but that's what it's in my mind. That's very powerful. You know, um, maybe I'm going to ask Kelvin to say one or two things or any of you who want to say something. Tio, you are out there. Tell me, tell me, I know you're very powerful and a lot maybe happening in your heart because one of the things that happens to, to all of us if we, we, we are not really on, on guard and we're not connecting to the Holy Spirit and walking with the Holy Spirit, is drift. We think we are doing the thing called the work of God. We think we are preaching. And it happens to preachers a lot. We think we are preaching. We think we are leading worship and we are in the heart. I mean, you find people really in the midst and the heart of a very powerful thing, but it is all filled with vacuity. They, they are lost in transit. And these things do happen to uh, believers, and happen to leaders. And um, you know, it's just like sitting in a boat and um, you are relaxing with some cool aid um, and some, some, some earplugs in your ears and you're enjoying music. Only for some hours for you to just lift up yourself and you realize that you've drifted from a shore way far into the middle of the sea and you have no phone to call anybody. That is what happens to Hebrews says that let us pay heed lest we drift. 
And you know, when you are drifting, it can be sweet. Have you experienced that? When you are drifting, so when you are driving a car and maybe you are descending a certain hill and you are all alone and you are enjoying the cruising, it's sweet, but very dangerous. When, um, um, uh, uh, what they call them, uh, skiers, those who ski, when they are skiing and um, they, they, they get into an ascent, maybe from a hill, they are up there. Do you know that when they have hit up there, actually they are on their way down? It is just gravity that is calling. So some of these things really, really, really happen to us. And it's important that we begin to um, confront ourselves. That is the word I use for myself. You need to confront yourself. Confront me, confront you. Ask yourself the real critical questions. Where am I? And that said, I thought you are muted. I'll bring in to you, I'll bring in um, Kevin, and then I'll do a couple of slides and then we should be done. That, that said, Claudia underscored a very important thing and I'd like uh, Kevin to speak to that, which is the issue of if you have to begin like a child, because sometimes we believe I am up there and I cannot start. But the entrance of the kingdom is really not at the place of maturity. I have arrived. It is not at the place of, I am alive, I have it all together. The entrance of the kingdom is never at that position of, of I know it and all, but um, it's, it's at a point where I go blind and I begin to see. The entrance of the kingdom is not at the point of sight. It's at the point of humility, friends. Um, I want to just invite Kelvin to speak and then I'll ask you to speak because the issue of Abraham, and I like Kelvin to speak to that, Abraham and the age at which God called him, the malleability and the work with God. Kelvin, um, if, if you're there, just, just shoot, shoot on that. And... Yes, with Abraham? Yes. Yeah, yes, with Abraham, um, I, I love the fact that we commend Abraham's faith and we should commend his faith. But what I love even more about Abraham is his flexibility with the Lord, even at 75. I know in my own life that the older I get, I tend to be more rigid and more set in my ways. But Abraham was able to somehow sever his life experience to be able to be open with a child's heart, which is why when Jesus uses an example of the kingdom, he said, you must be like this. You cannot be a cynical adult. You can't be a doubtful adult, but you must come to me with an open heart, like a child trusting to abandon your experience. And Mark, when you mentioned about the things that we're able to do, and I can relate to it so much, how we rest on the laurels of our experience on our competency, what we know, what we are familiar with. We rest on our accustomed environment. And so those things can make us rigid if we're not careful. And so Abraham was able to follow God and uproot and leave his father's house at 75 years old. He was willing to abandon that. And so I think that that's the heart that the Lord is looking for uh, from each of us, that regardless of our experience with him or with life, that we would be open and childlike to be led, to be influenced, 
to allow him to impress us uh, in our in our lives and, and transform us. So, thank you. Tio. Yeah, Prof. Um, yeah, I was just uh, I was just reflecting um, on the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Um, of course, it's a scripture that I've uh, seen several times already, but you know, as we are discussing it, um, it's kind of uh, really re reinforcing the import of the question itself. For Jesus to ask his disciples, who um, do men seek, or, or he asked them, who do you say I am? For him to ask them that question, that means that he is really, really interested in how we see him, our, our revelation of him, who is Jesus to us. And uh, yeah, I think that is, um, you know, really, really, really um, life transforming. Okay, because when you come to think of it, he goes on to say that, uh, okay, I think Peter then answered and said that you are the Christ. Uh, but before that, they said, oh, some say you are a prophet. Others say you are a teacher, you are this and that. And then he asked them, but you, you yourself, who do you say I am? That's when Peter answered, right? That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So um, connecting this to um, something I knew before uh, about son of God, where the original translation of son of God, actually, uh, you know, in the original language, yeah, maybe Hebrew or Greek, actually means God in flesh. So not like uh, God's son or as in God giving birth to a son. No, but the original meaning of that uh, a phrase itself means God himself would come down in flesh. So God manifested in flesh, right? And, and no wonder um, when you read Malachi 3 verse 16, you know, he says that a book of remembrance was opened. Um, just a moment. Okay, he says that and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that taught upon his name. Mm -hmm. So that means that just uh, you know, pondering, just meditating on who Jesus is, who he is to us alone, you know, comes with a promise. It comes with 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 an experience of him that can transform us. And then, like he told the disciples, he said, you know, he said, and upon this rock, upon that revelation of who he is to you personally. He said, I'm going to build on that. I'm going to build on that revelation. I'm going to use that to transform you to where you're supposed to be. So uh, 
you know, discussing this really, you know, uh, really, really, really is reinforcing the, the fact that how we see Jesus, how we see Christ is so, you know, I mean, so critical to our Christian life. Beautiful. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. Godwin, uh, thanks for that question. It has, it has even opened it up some more. Um, and it is very important the way we see him and it's also important to himself because we will represent that expression, whatever we are seeing, whatever we are, we are beholding. And um, the basis for Ecclesia is seeing him right. Let me say that again. The basis for Ecclesia is seeing Christ right. And because we have had this mad contorted, contorted image of him, we have done all manner of things in the name of God. And that is where it actually the danger is. Because the more we are doing the thing we call God, the more drifted, far removed we have become um, from him. May God help us. Let's, let me go into um, this, some brief things, and then let's see what God has for us. Let's look at getting it right. Let's look at, let's look at rediscovering the Ecclesia, sight of Christ, getting it right. And Godwin uh, has run ahead of us and brought us into this. And so let's get into a few things. What do we see here? Getting it right. There is a man called William Temple. I think he's Archbishop of um, something in, in, in Britain or something. He says this, and pay attention to this. Some might have heard me quoted this before. Uh, Timmy, you probably might have seen this in one of our conversations. And this is very striking. He says, if your conception of God, I miss it. If your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you. You are opening your soul to be molded by something else. You had much better be an atheist. <laughs> Let me take it again. If your concept of God so let's say if your concept of Christ is radically false, radically false, then the more devout you and I, uh, the worse it will be for us. We are opening, you are opening your soul to be molded by something else. You had much better be an atheist. I mean, this is a very explosive statement this opens humanity into all kinds of um, dealings. So let's look at these imperatives for divine revelation for Christ. Divine revelation of Christ, not for Christ, of Christ. The issue is asking the right and hard questions. The issue is asking the, 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 the right and the hard questions. So we just talk about the issue of beginning where you are. Who do men say that I am? What do they say of me? Jesus asks. But who do you say that I am? And I want to say that, take the opportunity before our next meeting, ask yourself this question. Think upon it. Roll it over. Who do I say he is? Okay, so what is coming from the pulpit? 
There are many people who attend church meetings and they don't even know the reason why they are attending church meetings apart from the selfish motive that is in front of them. Because it is of my need. But Jesus, in instituting this reality called Ecclesia, what we call church, he asks a very fundamental question, a search, an inquiry, a pursuit, question-seeking answers, begging for answers, which is, who do you say that I am? It is almost as if, um, because the word that follows is upon this revelation, I will build. It is almost as if our inclusion and our legitimacy to be involved in the functionality of the ecclesia is hinged on this and truly it is what it is. That we have a personal understanding, distinct, clear sight and involved or being caught up in this evolutionary unveiling of him as the journey continues. Because as we journey, we discover him. As we journey, we discover him. As we become 75, 95, 100, so to say in quotes, we still continue to be malleable, soft, and allow for and not cling to our cynical view, but ready to embrace a new horizon of who this man Christ is, who is filled all eternity. We must be in a diligent, a, a diligent search. So the point is, there ought to be a diligent search. There ought to be a diligent search. Christ is asking the questions. Who do you say that I am? An inquiry mind and a heart position must drive us. You can never be a believer inside a kingdom who have lost passion. You have no passion and drive for anything of God. No, we must enter into the place of diligent inquiry, diligent search, diligent pursue. Not, you know, there are people who are at the place of more, more, more knowledge, more knowledge, and we gathering more knowledge and filling more notes. No, a diligent pursuit in knowing him. That must, that must, must become a reality. Um, like Anderson will say, Anderson has this term, which I picked, which is doubt the default. Doubt the default. You begin to question the realities that you find around you. You begin to ask questions. Somebody said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. Take Confucius, take Buddha, take any of them. Put Christ side by side. And the distinction is wild and clear. But who do you say I am Christ as? Getting it right. Remember, we just look at getting it right and we look at the question. The first thing is we need to ask the right questions and the hard questions, hard questions. Look at this, getting it right, refounding. And somebody said, what word is that? Refounding, refounding. Refunding is an imperative that should bring us into something. I'll come to that. There is a need that we step into a personal relationship with him. Who do you, you say? You have been with me. You've worked with me, whether one year, two years, three years. You've been in this journey with me. How do you define me? 
You see, in our world, many people see him um, um, by this song, uh, just like butter my bread, sugar my cocoa, that kind of Christianity. Many, he is the living Lord Jesus Christ, and some only see him to be power. He heals me, he provides for me, gives me the breakthrough. All of those things are wonderful, and God and Jesus will continue to do them. But beyond that, beyond that, do we behold the reality of <laughs> butter, my bread, sugar, my cocoa? <laughs> no, not cocoa, but cocoa, cocoa is like porridge, it's like a pottage. Porridge. Like saying, oh, he's the one that makes my life sweet. Yes, he would make my life sweet. He would make your life sweet. But is he the living Lord Jesus Christ? What does he represent to you? Is he the one that you, if you need one miracle and you are hot, you just go and press the button, fast food, and one minute, you have it. Is it a canned baked mutton or, or a canned, uh, what do you call it, canned, canned chicken? Is it a canned um, um, a salad? How do you see this Christ? There's one sister, I think she's on the call. She lost the job six years, six good years. She had to persevere. She had to now learn how to pray. She was sharing the testimony in, in um, in our in-person meeting, that once a month meeting, she, she had to pray. In fact, she had to now learn how to pray. She had to persevere. She had to learn to fast. And as we're even talking, there's more fasting on the way for her <laughs> to do. She had to pursue God. She, 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 and I believe in the process, she is the person who can only evaluate it. She had to lose a lot of spiritual weight. A lot of things she probably would have shared of, which she may not tell you and I. The issue of personal relationship cannot be um, ignored. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That point, you need to hold on to it. The third thing I wanted to look at in the, in the imperatives for divine revelation of Christ, there is the benevolence of the Father. Theophilus quoted um, a reference in Malachi and tied it into the reality. He says that and uh, those that fear the Lord spoke with one another who meditate upon his word. And the Lord said, let a book of remembrance. Who invited the Lord? Nobody. They were just engaging in this space of meditating upon the Lord his word, and the Lord gets involved. There are some things that provoke divine immunity. There are some things that provoke the benevolence and provision of God. There are some things that provoke the utterness of God into our world. And that thing is that diligent search of Christ. Look at it. That place where the Father got involved and opened up the revelation to to Peter. The question is this, it's an offered provision. And the question is this, what did Peter do so special? He probably just was like, okay, let me, let me think about this. Who do, who is he? Immediately he started the process, the father got involved because that is a critical thing that was going to define the foundation of existence of, if you call it Christianity. 
if you call it Christianity. That is going to define the foundation of kingdom living. And if we miss it by one single word, then it is totally gone. Because the way we view him will define our responses and our reactions and how the processes that we build. And so we have done. Having viewed him wrongly, having perceived him wrongly, um, in certain circles, Timmy, Timmy is on the call and Timmy will tell you that um, 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 she knows of situations where the pastor will have to determine where a man in his community goes to bed with a wife, where when the woman goes to bed with a husband, where our difference is to this guru chief mentality and the final core and final speech. And so if the person says that your husband is a wizard, it is believed without a personal conviction, a personal encounter, that let me behold this. Let me see it. These things have destroyed much good. God stepped in. He, Jesus said, you did not learn this from any human being. You did not learn this from any human being. The father is willing and attracted to certain conversations. The father is willing to jump in and unveil Christ. And so the search for Christ and looking for Christ does not start with chasing and going north and going south, but that diligent inquiry and relationship. And the father is already willing because it is the gravest thing for him to uphold in the surface of the earth. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In 10 minutes, I'm going to wrap up. But my father who is in heaven. Wow. It takes divine intervention, divine ability to zero in on the specifics of the work of God. It takes divine ability to bring prophetic truth into its specific present application. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This Christ has been prophesied and it's a prophetic reality, but this thing has now become tangible. It takes divine ability to zero in and you cannot defer to your strength and your power and your ability. Standing where you are, you begin to inquire. Refounding, therefore, means we are going back to, um, let me skip this. So I told you about this, but I'll skip it. I'll still come back to it. Refounding means that we are returning to Christ. We are discovering who is the founder of Ecclesia. We are discovering who is this Christ. Listen, in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom, knowledge are hidden. Therefore, it is the Lord's will for us to come into an ever-growing realization, ever-growing realization, and a personal apprehension of him. In him whom all fullness were, which is Christ. Refounding, re, oh, not refounding, refound, refound. It speaks to discovery, the founder of Ecclesia. It speaks to discovering the revelation of the chief cornerstone without which we can do nothing. The revelation of the chief cornerstone. When you look at 
um, Ephesians 2, the verse 20, not 21, the verse 20, you would see that the Bible describes him as the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone, simply put, was in this, um, in the technology of the Jewish people or the people of, uh, um, of that world, when they build, they had this stone that held the building in place. Pull that stone, the whole building comes down. Refounding is a term I want to introduce to you. There is the need, absolute need, to return to him. And I'm going to underscore this slide and then um, I end. So if we're talking about the unveiling of the significance of Christ, the significance of Christ, then we want to talk about his centrality. Pay attention to this. It's very succinct, but very loaded. The centrality of Christ in all of eternal and earthly history. Jesus is not some 2,000 years ago reality. Jesus is not some just New Testament reality. Jesus has been. Do you ever read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9? It says that who has called us with a holy calling, according to, not according to our works, but according to his grace and his purpose. In Christ before time began, before time began. Now this Christ is older than the earth. He is central to the holding of everything. If you look at um, Hebrews chapter one, the verse three says that he has held everything in place by the word of his mouth. He is central to everything. If you look at Hebrews 11, the verse three, it says that by faith, we understand that the world's were framed, made out of invisible, out of the word of God. If you look at John 1, it says that in the beginning, and in the beginning, the word exists, and the word is God. The word is, was with God. Without him, nothing is seen. If we talk about unveiling of the significance of Christ, then we have to get into a strong pursuit. These are all teachings that can occupy days. If we just talk, talk about the centrality of Christ. It can take us days to talk about. So I just give a very succinct version. If we talk about the supremacy of Christ, days. There is a need that we discover the supremacy of Christ once again. We refound, we come back into that significance of Christ. The supremacy of Christ over all created things, both in heaven, the earth, and under the earth. If you read Colossians chapter one, it's a beautiful reference. Permit me to read it. Colossians one, very beautiful reference and very rich and powerful. Colossians, let me just read Colossians one, the verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that in all things he must have preeminence, supremacy in all things. And so where is your faith? 
Cockroaches cannot be chasing in your dreams. Supremacy. Where is your stand? Ephesians 2. It says that we are seated. There's a need that we discover the universality of Christ, which was demonstrated in his life when he walked through this earth, when he died and when he resurrected. The reality is that Christ touches all things. He relates to and touches all things. Matters of life, matters of death, matters of resurrection. And do you realize that when Adam fell, it is not only Adam, but everything with him came down. When Christ died and resurrected, he brought everything back again. Ephesians 1, the verse 10, it says that that in the fullness of time, he might gather everything as one in him. He is the universality. The altruistic quality of Christ as seen in his love and compassion for all his benevolence and given to. What are we discussing? Jesus Christ is the fullness, is the finality and the horizon of God. I say it again. Jesus Christ is the fullness, the finality, and the horizon of God. He constitutes the only absolute ground upon which God carries out his workings. God will do nothing. If you go before God and say, my great-grandfather days and that, the basis for God working is Christ. He is the finality, the fullness, and the horizon of God. There's no time to read all the scriptures. So here we stand. I'm going to stop. I'm probably going to stop on this slide. You will always come into the realm of conflict, the ground of conflict. Immediately, you begin to project this revelation of Christ. Things that look so lofty and you could deem in the opinion of men as carrying the signature of heaven, as representing heaven, begins to crumble. Because in the face of the exalted revelation of his comprehensiveness, and when we talk about the, the significance and the comprehensiveness of Christ, then we are discussing his centrality. We are discussing his supremacy. We are discussing his universality. We are discussing his altruistic nature. His, him being the fullness and the finality and the horizon of God. The, I mean, if you want to, so to say in a reverent way, the end of God exists in Christ. He so pleased the Father that he filled him body with all the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus Christ, when he comes into the realm of men, it becomes um, disaster for that, those things that are not in tandem. And so we cannot move off the Lord's ground. Please listen to this and I end here. We cannot move off the Lord's ground without consequences of spiritual disaster. You cannot move off the grounds of his significance, his comprehensiveness. The reason why we, have, we are broken and desperate is because we have left his significance, we have left his comprehensiveness. Thank you, friends. I want to stop here. And so we, we pick it up next, next week. Next week, I'm going to continue and I'm going to unveil um, some things, some more. And then maybe we come into talking about Ecclesia. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kelvin. The centrality of Christ, the comprehensiveness of Christ.
What does this thing do to you? We have the balance of about 20 something minutes before we leave here. What does this thing do to you, friends? Let's speak to it. Forgive me for the typos. <laughs> the centrality of Christ, his supremacy, his ascendedness, his universality. He touches every realm. I posted on my status, was it yesterday? It's as easy for God to heal the sick, to heal a headache, and the same ease with which he heals a headache, the same power raises the dead. How do you see this Christ? I've just given you a broad overview. And if you, you desire to research and go a bit deeper, I tell you this, I tell you this, Jesus not being some 2000 years ago reality, you will discover something that on every page of the Bible, you'll find him. Every page of the Bible, you'll find him. And if you begin to find him in that way, begin to ask yourself, how do I relate to that reality? How do I import that reality? How do I make that reality an existence of my present day? We preach the Bible wrongly because we have thought of Christ planted partially. He is just a New Testament reality. But our Christ, he is beyond all realities you can think about. If God lifts his head to look, the final thing he sees is Christ. He sees not your grandfather's village. He sees not your grandmother's village. He sees not your ancestry. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And so when those realities begin to unveil in, in say prophetic environments, for example, it should be a moment of great joy because he declared it is finished and those things are unveiled and you step powerfully into this thing and boom, that liberty that was created in that single statement, it is finished. That I, Christ, have taken everything that you, God, have designed before time began in eternity and I've run it through this earth and I've brought it to finality and stamped it. And therefore, Mark, Veronica, any of us can live our life because I've already shown the pattern. This thing constitutes the foundation of Ecclesia. We shall continue to return to this thing over and over and over and over and over and over. If we depart from this ground, we will build cartoon images of things. They will look like God, dance like God, smell like God, talk like God, behave like God, but never would deliver the power of God. It says, these people are full of knowledge. They have a form of godliness and knowledge, but they deny the power thereof. May the Lord help us. That if we are attending any meeting, any gathering, in persons, in um, uh, online, any space, we have a strong reality governing our, our existence. When even you're having that nice moment with your wife, your husband, even in that moment, you have the strong reality of the comprehensiveness and of significance of Christ because he is central and universal and he touches all things, all things, all things. 
that's in the dispensation of time, the fullness of time, he will gather up everything in him alone. Friends, God bless us. Let me read that scripture again. Ephesians 1, the verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness, the pleroma of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Christ, Christ, Christ in everything we do. Christ, Christ, he fills everything. Christ, he empowers your body. Christ, he removes the sickness. Christ, he fills, he arrests the situation and gives you and I life and that we are able to fulfill every single thing he has established for us. God bless you. I stop here. I stop here. Let's have a short conversation. If you feel like praying, I want you to unmute the microphone and just pray if that is what is bubbling in your heart. You can just unmute your microphone and pray. What is burning in your heart? This thing is so vast and so wide and so powerful. This place is quiet. I see Claudia saying, my conclusion, I know him very little. I know him very little. This is a clear and a clarion call from God to seek his son. See, let me share something with you before you go. I fast a lot. I fast a lot. Um, I have situations, my wife says, you have, she'll wake up in the morning and says, are you fasting today? That's a question, are you fasting today? Because she, she, she gets lost. Um, and sometimes when you fast so much, like I shared with Kevin, we laugh over that. When you fast so much, everything around you becomes fasting. Hmm. <laughs> you know, fast and fast and and my wife sadly would declare fasting. Now she wake up and I said, "What are you doing?" He said, uh, "I want to. Uh, I'm fasting today." He said, "Woo." He said, "I'm fasting seven days." I said, "Woo." I said, "Who asked you to fast?" He said, "Well, I've given myself a fast. I want to. I want to pray about some things." And I can spend three days, three days, three days on a dry fast, drinking water, drinking water. And I've done that for years years upon years. And that is what I do always. In my fasting, Philippians chapter 3, 10, that I may know him. 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 I can spend hours in prayer. And when I come out of prayer with my Bible, I am discovering some fragments of him because I know I've not hit finality yet. 
that I may know him. Look, it makes you so strong. It makes you walk in, in the confidence. You are baptized in the confidence of the father. You cannot be cheated. It makes you humble. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Godwin, I see you unmuted, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I, I went off and I came back and my mic is on. You but uh, maybe a few. Uh, I, in essence, what you're teaching us uh, has a lot to do with um, discovering Christ and discovering who we are in Christ. Mm. Uh, also, when you read the book of uh, Colossians, rightly, you discover that the summary of it is all about who Christ is and what he has made of us. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in trying to be spiritual, uh, let me say this before. And especially in Africa, in our part of the world, you find that uh, a lot of people try to gather people to pray. Mm -hmm. We don't have much of this, but you see the gathering of prayer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, on part of most of the people who go into these prayer meetings, they, they don't even understand the workings of God. Mm -hmm. They don't even understand how God, they, they, how God will want them to relate to him. But you find that they are praying to the same God. In, in essence, what I've discovered is that in essence, it limits you and the God you are praying to. Because you have not come out. You talked about Christ, we discovering Christ, make us stronger. No one can, no one can cheat you. Mm. But most of the times we are crying out to, to this God as if he's an old man who is sitting somewhere at his, and enjoy seeing us struggle and enjoy seeing us suffer. So we, we strain not to seek him, but to get answers to life life's challenges, especially as I mentioned from this oh, sorry. part of our world okay. in Africa. So, so I think some of these teachings are very necessary. I have always advocated for these kind of teachings so that the people will now come out of every limitation and anything that has held them bound to the extent that they cannot even know who this God is, as you mentioned, that Paul said, that I may know him. And that the question I asked, I think you have answered the question in this session that you, 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 you raised after the conversation, after the, a little bit, the discussions we had. I think that it is about the diligence, mm. the diligence of seeking him. So he said in Hebrews, he said that, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the point where the believer starts to know Christ is the day that the believer decides to diligently asking the questions and seeking for answers. God will now appreciate the fact that this heart is ready. As you said, Peter was just making a simple inquiry. I believe that there were a lot of disciples who were sitting down there and were like, oh, we don't know. But we only know what people talk about him. 
But for this one day, I can't even say. I can't tell. But Peter made us came into himself and asked, who could he be? How can I even understand who this man is? So God, in, in the inquiry of Peter, came alive and said, in the heart of Peter, and said, he is the Christ. Where the Christ is a bit more diligent, a bit more consistent, a bit more not committed to only church as we know it to be, the congregation, not only committed to attending church meetings, attending organizational meetings in the church. No, but when the heart is set to say that, look, I now want to seek this God. I don't know him. Now I want to know him. As our sister even mentioned, he even sent a, sent, sent a, a message and said, and said, I know little of him. And that is the point we need to come to every time because mm. we cannot mm. come to that point mm. to say that we have fully known him. But we must come to that point where we say, I know little, I want to know more. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Beautiful. 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 Any more thoughts? Anything stirring you up? Are you caught up in some holy trepidation? I am. I am. You know, sometimes you can, you can just get into um, an atmosphere, discourse, and nobody might have even mentioned the issue of holiness. <laughs> but the holiness of God is unveiled such that you don't want to be touched with anything ugly. Anything ugly. Tish, who is Tish? Tish, let's hear your voice. One or two comments before we leave. Tish. Are you there? Okay. Veronica, we've not heard your voice today. What do you want to say? Or you are in holy trepidation. And so you have all your words are gone. <laughs> um, yeah, it's you. Yeah, uh, yeah, you mentioned something um, about uh, what do you what you ask for when you are fasting uh, about that I may know him. Uh, and yeah, I think it's it, it, because Moses also prayed the same prayer. Mm. Moses, where, where he, he said that, Lord, if I have found favor before you, mm. let me know you that I'll continue to find favor before you. I mean, as simple as that. And then you are like, but these great prophets and apostles of God are still praying that I may know you. Mm -hmm. You're like, what exactly <laughs> they want to know? <laughs> mm -hmm. When they say that I may know you, what, what exactly does that mean? Okay. What, what really is in there? Okay. You know, when you say that I may know him, 
Okay. And 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 I think that is that is something so huge, mm. something so profound mm. that I may know him. Um, it's it's something so profound. Whoa. Um, Tio, you just raised something which um, I kind of deliberately let, left out of my note, but um, let me make it, let me say it this way. That word Paul used, no, in Philippians 3.10, is a word that points to experiential knowing, intimate knowing. That word is akin is related to glory. And it is no in a sense that the, it, is, it, is, it is the Lord overlaying you with his glory, just like a husband lays on his wife. Just like a husband lays on his wife. And therefore, that leads to all kinds of realities, all kinds of issues, all kinds of understanding, all kinds of realities, because there is the seed of the father that is left in you. So when these apostles cry, anywhere they cry, I want to know him. You look at the departure, look at the evaluation, look at the calculus, look at the things they calculate, look at Paul, the things he was calculating. Paul was, was evaluating 30, about 32, 32 years or 35 years of work with God. And he summed everything up and says, I consider it all as done for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. And that is liberty. That is real freedom. If you ever taste of real freedom, you never one day will desire to go into the house of bondage. So there are several things in that which I believe we cannot speak about. The issue of the glory of God where um, 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 people may come around us and they walk with an opinion. An opinion and a reality of God hits them and strikes them like lightning bolts out of heaven. A transformed life that does not conform to the reference point of yesterday, the ravages and the scars of memory, but a liberty that is issued out of the realm of God that sets you on flow until God says, it is time to leave this earth. Rulership power, dominion, lives in this thing. It is great joy to know him. It frees you. It frees your money. It frees your family. It liberates you from the bondage of religion. And, and all of it, ritualistic ceremonials, you are free. If you do not attend service on Christmas day, the world will not end. Some people said, hey, 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 it's Christmas and come on. When you would have found him, go and read Songs of Solomon chapter one. I don't want to go into this issue of Christ. If I read the book of Songs of Solomon, look at the lost and find, look at the lost and find, look at the intimacy, my God. God, that word no is the word intimacy. That word no is explosive knowing. It's a rapturous encounter where you are caught into that ecstasy, the zzz of the Lord, where you are caught into a realm and when there is a redundant of explosive glory that begins to touch everything around you. It says that 
It says in Songs of Solomon, it says, show me my dear beloved, where you feed your flock on noonday, that I may not be found as one who is veiled by your companions. The companions of Christ are the thieves who continue to teach and portray him wrongly. It is time that the veil be removed that we can see him. I pray for you. Let me just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, let every veil be torn off my heart, be torn off the heart of my brothers, be torn off the heart of my sisters. Let every religious vein be broken. Let every traditional veil be removed. Let every denominational veil be torn into pieces. Oh God, he said for on this mountain, this mountain right now in this conversation, you God, you are reaching out and you are rebuking the face of death and you are removing the veil that covers the nations. Let the veil that continue to blind the minds, the, the spirit of the age, the prevailing philosophy, the religious spirit of the age, the, the, the teachings of the Pharisee that points Christ to a different reality other than he is among us here. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let that veil be broken. Now I demand in the name of Jesus. Now we, are, we demand. This is what we agree upon as a people, as God's church. And we say, let every effect of the negative veil be broken totally from our lives. Be broken over our emotions. Every hurt, every pain of the past, let that thing be broken and destroyed. Let every spirit that has been behind it and continue to perpetuate the pain and the stronghold be removed in the name of Jesus. Now, may the God of glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge in him. Cause the eyes of our, our understanding. David said... Oh God, light up my candle. Father, turn my darkness into light. For I know that you will light up my candle and you will turn my darkness into light. Let our spirits be lit. Lord, this is not the filling of our heads, the buckets of our heads, but let it be the lightening, the lifting of our spirit and the release of the awesome glory of God into his glorious liberty. For he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Father, let this light break. This is what we have agreed upon. Let the blessing, the prosperity of Jesus Christ that comes with the revelation and the discovery of him, the power, the dominion upon this revelation, the basis of an ecclesia, upon this rock, upon this mass huge, this planting, this foundation, let the rock pour out oil to you and I, like, like, like Job said, that the rock poured me oil. Let the rock be in league with you. You are blessed in the name of Jesus. You are released. I command activation that you'll be released and begin to walk in your capacity and your potential. The Lord bless you. The Lord favor you. Thank you for being on the call. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah. 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 Let me say this. Some of us are walking out of this meeting and there's a real holy trepidation that is catching up with you that you feel the holiness of God speaking to you, even though it's not been mentioned, when you are like, I want to keep myself pure. That sound is in you. It's resonating on, the ins on your inside. You have grace to walk in it because it is Christ who is unveiling his heart to you. 
We will go out and there will be great clarity. We will suddenly pick the scriptures and they'll begin to come alive so powerfully. We'll suddenly pick the scriptures and we'll begin to see the interlinking, the grand theme of this reality of him. This, this, this rock of ages, this eternal holy one, this one that, that um, 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 has been sought after. You have touched something. I have touched something in God tonight. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. So please look out for Amen. the next registration link as we do as, as usual. And register, share it with somebody, throw it out there. And uh, what we're going to start doing is that um, we're waiting for, uh, let, me, let me cut this recording. We, oh, no, no, not this. We were waiting for um, my dear friend out of Ghana, um, just connecting. Just a moment, let's see. Hey, God, Godwin, you're welcome. Thank you. I, I had I had in the background the little princess announcing her arrival. <laughs> yeah. Good. So good to have you. Thank okay. you. Okay, let's get going. Let's get going. Let's get going. We don't have much time. So I was just saying that if any of us have any thoughts, anything on your mind, anything burning in your heart, you want to, you want to speak to before we, we, we get into the main teaching session. Let's just spend some five to 10 minutes. You can share that, something burning in your heart. Kevin, I see your microphone unmuted. Yes, yes. M Mark, it's, it's a word you have been using um, over the past you probably used it more, but I've noticed it over the past week. And it has to do with like a holy fear, yeah. a reverence, a, a um, you know, you step out of meetings and, and you have this sense of, um, what was the term? How did you use it? What was it? It's like a, a holy trepidation. Yes. Holy trepidation. Yes. And so that's been sticking with me. And, um, I know there's more to discover inside of that, but I believe that that is always a good place to start mm. when I'm engaging with God, to be able to start at a place of holy trepidation, um, emptying myself of what I formerly knew, mm. uh, what I was familiar with, and to experience God fresh mm. each time we engage like today. I'm a, my heart is open. My heart is open for, for what we will receive today. I know it may be a continuation, but I'm looking to meet God in a fresh way today. Yeah. Is what I want to say. Yeah. Beautiful. That's that's lovely. Somebody want to speak to that as well. This whole issue of a holy trepidation that continues to grip our attention, our hearts, and regardless of wherever we find ourselves. Um, it seems as though God uses that to navigate our path, all our courses. 
I think I've used it for some weeks now and it got all um, stirred up in one of the meetings we had about two weeks ago. And um, I have been leaving there myself. So anybody want to just mention something about that? That would be beautiful. Anyway, Claudia, you want to speak about that? <laughs> I know personally, Claudia. <laughs> Claudia has been having some experiences as well. Mm -hmm. I know, yeah. I think I had the same thing. I just, I knew you were going to call me. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia, Claudia, you're becoming a prophetess now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I share this as, as well with Mark and also with Karen, my friend from Brazil, that I was having a new, I don't know, like a new understanding and a new experience of what it is. Uh, my, uh, like my, my, how to explain this? Um, like a new sense yeah. of being a daughter, yeah. being a beloved uh, bride to yeah. the father and to, to, to him as a father and to him as, as a husband. Yeah. And, and it's been wonderful. And like I said, the last time I felt like I was starting from zero mm. again, all over again, even after 18 years of knowing the Lord, but I feel every time he's doing something new and giving like a new perspective or, an, or a fresh understanding of, of who he is as a father and as a husband to me mm. and feeling the, his love and feeling that I am beloved by him not only saying it but really feeling it and really experiencing it and so as kevin said i'm also uh like looking forward to seeing what he's gonna do and what he's gonna speak to us just like he did last time through mark and through the what we shared and through this little group that i'm sure the lord put us together for a reason in this every thursday Oh, that's beautiful. Um, when Claudia was talking, there's this scripture that just popped up. Um, uh, I just want to read that and then we get started. I don't know where this is leading, but um, I believe God in a way is going to impact us um, with the issues of identity because one of the things holy trepidation does to us is to truly bring us into a place of rediscovery of the Lord and of his very character, his very nature, his, his very nature and all. And um, it brings us into the place of definition. Definition, where we are defined by heaven. And our reference point is out of heaven, not um, out of the ravages and the scars, the scars of of um, time-based existence, but we get defined out of the realm of eternity. And um, um, when we get to talk about even the issue of, uh, of prophetic, 
anytime we talk about prophetic, you've actually stepped into sight. And when we talk about sight, one of the things that truly defines us is that um, thing that says, behold the, the goodness and the severity of God. And that thing grips us and brings us into a betrothment unto the Lord, intimacy in a, in a way. It doesn't scare us away. It doesn't chase us away. Us away. So listen to this scripture in the book of Hosea, uh, maybe to speak to somebody. Hosea chapter 2, the verse 14, down to somewhere, somewhere. I now read it quickly. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I don't know what translation you have and what a word it does use. It says, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her and speak comfort to her. So if you have any wilderness kind of experience, I remember the Lord says that right in the midst of that, I'm going to be speaking comfort. It says, I will give her, her vineyards from there and the valley of Akko as a door of, of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day. And in that day is the day when we discover him by, the, by, by this holy sense of the reality of the Lord. In that day, says the Lord, that you may call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the bars, and they shall be remembered by their names no more. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the bears of the air, and with the creepy things of the ground. This is so powerful that when we come into holy trepidation and, and um, betrothment, betrothment unto the Lord, suddenly the God brings us into a very powerful arrangement inside the demonic realm, such that the demonic realm can no longer put its finger on us. The issues of the beasts of the field, and you can apply it even in the area of business. There are, there are beasts in the area of business, magnets in the area of business, controllers and influencers, people who call the shot, who determine the next move. And God says, I bring you into covenant with the beasts of the field, whatever it may represent for any of us. The birds of the air, I mean, think of the birds of the air. The Bible describes Satan as the bird, um, the bird of the air. And... Think about this covenant, this arrangement of peace and the creepy things of the ground. Bow, sorry, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. That word safely is the word bitak. It's a state of tranquility Think and just allow this image to be invoked in your mind where there is a little, a little building or a small building somewhere sitting in a valley 
And in this valley, you can see that the entire environment is covered and it's lush green. And the state of this, of, of, of this dwelling is such that these people are not scared of anything. That even death, even destruction cannot draw near to that state of that dwelling, that abode. I will make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow for her, I will sow for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. A very beautiful passage. If I want to start talking about it, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't finish this evening. I'm pretty sure if you, because you are also inspired in a way, but let's allow it to flow for just some few minutes. What did you hear? What struck you? Looking at the entire scene of this passage I just read, was season because we come into a place of betrothment unto the Lord. The beasts of the field goes to rest and actually is in covenant with you to support you because we have entered into betrothment unto the Lord. The state of the arrangement of things, the heavens are let loose. And the earth is beginning to respond to the environment of fruitfulness out of the loftiness and the elevated place of God's ascent in relationship with us. Then your ground, whether your business, your ministry, my ministry, my purpose, all of these things begin to express real fruitfulness. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine and with oil. Then I will sow for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to, to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. A holy trepidation brings us into all kinds of realms in God. I don't know if you want to make a comment. I'm fine. We are all fine. If there's anything that is bubbling on your mind, on your heart. Hey, Kevin, please go. Man, Mark, what a beautiful, beautiful scripture. It is a, um, oh, it's like living under an open heaven. Yeah. Um, I like what it says about the beast of the field. Mm. What does it say about the beast? 
I was just listening to it. I didn't, I didn't yes. turn to it. What is it about the beast? The beast of the field expresses, I mean, beast as meaning, I mean, as meaning evil, right? And it speaks uh -huh. of satanic forces, demonic powers. God told the children of Israel, he says that I am not going to drive out the enemy out of the land at once, but I would mm -hmm. do it in bit by bit. If yeah. the beast of the field will be too numerous for you. In fact, in Job chapter five, he also talks about the beast of the, of the field coming into covenant or in being in league with us. It is almost as if um, we step into that space where God um, allows the devil to have a certain view and perspective of an ascendedness that exists in him and sees us through Christ. And by that position, the enemy is not permitted to to continue to afflict us and touch us in a manner in which he has done in the past. Simply because we step into intimacy with Lord. We step into intimacy out of holy trepidation. Kevin, you can, you can just, you can just um, bottle um, the rest of things that you, you have on your mind. Wow. Wow. That's the, you know, uh, there's so much inside of this. There's so much inside of this. Um, I really believe that um, it's important. And I like what my sister said a little earlier, the sister that was talking about um, the Lord being her husband. We have to have a sense of belonging. Mm. It, it's what, when our identity, it helps us in our identity to know that we belong. The Bible says he takes the, the solitary, he puts them into families. We need to have a sense of belonging. And, and this scripture, uh, it rescues us from our isolation, it rescues us from the, uh, the, the, the fallenness, the, the loneliness, the depravity, all of these things, it rescues us and gives us a sense of ownership. Like, like we, we are betrothed by the father. We, 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 he embraces us into his family. Such a loving and powerful scripture. And then when this happens, we start to see how everything else seems to fall in line. So this is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Mm. Mm. This is lovely. Anybody wants to pitch in on that? Sam, I see your microphone open. If you can hear us at all. Okay, so your microphone is not moving either. But anybody want to speak to this? Because listen to me. The scars and the ravages of the past. The footprints of family, how I was raised, things I was told, the scars and the ravages of sin. When you read the book of Isaiah, it says that his image was marred beyond recognition. Speaking of Christ, as he hung on the cross. But you and I can underscore the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, his face did not disfigure. The bones in his cheek were not broken. And therefore that is um, um, a very uh, strong, uh, dark saying, uh, uh, parabolic speech to define the impact, the, 
um, the effects and the destruction of sin and sin life that can get coded into our person. That we could be looking beautiful and handsome and all provided for and even providing solution to, to the nations of the earth. But this ravage of sin is removed when we step into this sense of belongingness. I just, I just, I just feel by, by, by this thing Kelvin dropped and then um, Claudia chimed in on, I just feel strongly that um, perhaps the Lord wants to even heal certain scars and certain pain of the past, reach deep down into, into our hearts and unveil issues of unforgiveness and bring us into, into forgiveness. Listen to what it says. It says that, it says that people who, who, had, who had not obtained mercy, it says, I will, it says that I will betroth you in faithfulness. It says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and mercy. I just feel the father's voice is going out and saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you out with my loving kindness. And if we can, we can begin to just extend faith, whether you see it or not, just extend a little faith and say, well, my mind may not understand, but I know my spirit does. I believe the Lord is reaching out with all sort of dimensions of, of, um, of life. I call it liquid love. This thing changes a man. It heals. And the other day, Kevin and I had a conversation. I was talking to him about how people under, underestimate the life force in Christ. This thing called eternity. How it can wipe the slate clean. And I just feel the Lord is bringing us into this. I mean, as a starting point, Kelvin, you started it. He said, it's a good place to start with the Lord. And I come like a little child. I humble myself. I come like a little child, blank as a baby. As though I've never known anything. As though I've never preached it before. As though I've never spoken about it. As though I've never heard it before. And I just want to step into this freshness of water that is flowing from the creek in heaven and washing your feet and washing over you and washing over me and, and, and defining us and giving us identity, allowing our identity to be, to be riveted so that we can live powerfully in this Ephraim and create impact for the Lord. This is really rich and powerful. And... I want you to embrace that. Godwin, I see you, are, you, have, you have unmuted your microphone. Yes. Uh, uh, it's good evening from Ghana. So, and uh, I want to thank God for the scripture you just read, beautiful scriptures. And uh, it's, it's amazing uh, what scripture can do to us that trepidation that you're talking about right now i i see myself in a realm of god where all things unity about god it's 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 a matter of wiping out wiping out what you you have known and now taking on what god has made you to be. So Paul talked about 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I believe that this is an amazing scripture that brings us to that place of intimacy where God is now telling you that I am bringing you to my inner court, a place where it's left for husband and wife. Mm. You know, there's a place for husband and wife. It's a secret place. And that is where I see this scripture talking about that God is bringing us into that. And for, for us to be able to see ourselves in, those, in that place, we need, to, we need to now understand what God wants to do with us. In, that, in the sense that we, we, have, we, 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 are, we were very far away, but he has brought us so close, closer than we can even imagine or even we can see. And so for us to enjoy that, that thing that, that is God, we need to take out what the, the kind of father and our husband and wife relationship, we know the kind of father and, 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 and children relationship, we know we got, we got to take off all these things and, and now put on Christ and now see ourselves through Christ in God. I, I can't even express myself properly because I, I, it's so crowded in my mind. And thank you so much. God bless you for this evening. And I want to say thank you for this. This is beautiful. Beautiful scripture. It's almost like we're having a holy moment because this is never what I intended to even start with. Yes, yes, um, you know, there's something about, about God where we don't necessarily need to see a vision. We don't necessarily need to sense a thing, but we just start defining things. Where the scripture says that I know, I see Claudia, I mean, kind of shedding tears because how do you see your mother? How do you see your father? How do you see your sister? How do you define your child? Even how do you define yourself? It's like we are putting on a new lens altogether. There's a scripture that says that the tongue that stammers shall speak plainly. We, we've just hit something very real in God that um, I just feel that we should just allow this thing to sit in for a while before we do, even if we teach for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's still fine. If we do not teach at all, I'm still okay. Because if it's just for one person that the Lord is going all after, even in this conversation, I am very fine. And so, um, before I do anything else, maybe somebody wants to still chime in. It is time to leave the definition of who your father, your earthly father was or is. Your earthly husband has been to you or is, your wife, your children. It is time, it's like God, God putting your, his hand on your chest and ripping the chest cavity open and says, I'm going after that pain. I'm going after that bitterness. 
I'm going after the damage and the ravage created by sin. The abuse, I'm healing it. And so we want to say, God, heal. We want to say, God, do as you please. Do as you please. Maybe let's have one more person if there is anybody who wants to share a thought. Maybe you're on a call. You do not even know what the definition of a father is. Remember years back meeting somebody who said, anytime you visit your father, this person was talking to me, say anytime you visit your, your father with me, I often wonder in my mind and in my heart, who is a father and what really does it mean? Veronica, shoot. Yeah, so um, I, I wish I had understood this scripture years ago because um, personally, I went through hell, trauma, serious abuse, physical, emotional, whatever you want to call it, in my early teens. And uh, it took me years um, to get over it. I prayed and prayed and prayed. My husband prayed, counseled a lot of counseling, and then by the grace of God, you know, I finally got over it and forgave the people who did those things to me. Um, this is a result of knowing God better than I did before. Had I known the scripture, had I understood the scripture the way I understand it now, um, it wouldn't have taken so long and um, the pain wouldn't have been, uh, well, it, it wouldn't have ruined a greater part of my life, so to say. So I really, really thank you and I appreciate you bringing this scripture up. You have no idea <laughs> what it means to, I don't know about everyone else, but you know, you don't know how, how uh, you have no idea what it means to me, especially at this point in time. So God bless you so much. Powerful. Really powerful. You know, several. I still do deliverance. I still do very serious deliverance. I still do the come out. If you see me doing come out, you ask Samuel and Godwin, you will laugh. And um, I remember teaching some years ago and I was dealing with the, I don't know, I don't know what God is going after, but I, I'm not seeing a vision. I'm not uh, sensing anything, but there is a nudging on the inside. There's an, an inner knowing at work. I don't know why we would have to do a CPC yesterday and only come and do the practicals here. <laughs> There's an inner nudging that is pointing to something. So I remember talking about salvation on the word soteria and how that thing is far wide and rife in reaching to the very core of our being and drawing us out of the place, call it pain, disappointment, uh, abuse, and uh, warped view, contorted perception, either about myself, 
about your own self, about how you relate to somebody and all. And just when I, I finished teaching, some people began to cry. They were literally, I mean, elderly people were almost entering into the place of identity with the Lord. And when Jesus came, one of the very first thing he did to us is to come in the form of a man. That revelation, we must not lose it. He's called the son of man. He came to do a very unique thing and went to the baptism of John. And at the baptism of John, there were significant things at play. One of them was the baptism referred to remission of sin. And it was happening at the Jordan. Jordan signified death and dying. I'm using my words very carefully, death and dying. And Jordan signified a place of overflow. That Jesus stepped into the place of identifying with our sins, our ravages, whatever we may call it, our failures and disappointments and the names that would have been called, he identified with that and stood there as man. Long story short, right from there, he began to define for us the existence of you and I, how we can live powerfully through this life. And uh, this discovery of man Human, to be human is a powerful thing. To stumble and trust in the mercy, the faithfulness, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. That is another thing to even talk about. That's as he comes and draws near, he enters into the realm of righteousness and justice on our behalf. And that you and I would not need to fight. So he identified with us. And even now he's identifying with us and he's identifying with you regardless of whatever the situation may be. And I believe this thing, he says that I will betroth you to myself in righteousness, in justice, in mercy. I believe it's almost like the stirring of the heavens and the unleashing of angelic host to go out on our behalf and act powerfully within our realms about things that have taken, I'm saying this because I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this in like a, the number five before me. And I'm saying this specifically that things that have been held back five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, will suddenly enter into the realm of momentum, speed, and on the heels of another things happening. Simply because We've just entered into the realm of God. We want to just pray before we start, we, we teach. We want to drink it. You can, you can unmute your microphone if you feel your background is not noisy. You are cool. You can unmute your microphone. And we just want to embrace this moment of prayer with faith. Whether we understand it or not, we just want to embrace it with faith. We just want to reach out. You, 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 you want to, you want to uh, pray under your breath in the spirit. You feel like just confessing something to the Lord, just confess it. You feel like just 
you know, um, um, sometimes we have been we have been brought up even even in the realm of church. Jesus, I will shake the heavens, the things that look like God and lofty, and the earth. I'll shake all of those things. And sometimes in church we have been we have been we have been brought up in the church environment with a self-preserving force at work. So we cannot even lose our spirit. We 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 are so rigid. We cannot enter into belongingness. We cannot enter into commingling. We cannot dissolve into another and another dissolve into us. We cannot get lost in God because we are still holding onto this self-preserving force of which I am made. I am this, I am that, I've been told this and it remains so. We just want to reach out in faith and you could pray under your breath. You could you could, you could just mumble something to the Lord. You, you, if you, I, I encourage you, it's good to cry sometimes. If you feel like breaking down in tears in the background, do that, do that with yourself and with God. Because I believe the spirit of God is all over the place upon us. Divine momentum, divine speed is reaching out to us. And so Father, right now we thank you. We bless you for your word. We did not plan it, but you stepped in. And so, Father, right now, we've heard your word that you are calling us. We hear your word that you are reaching out. We can hear your word that we are not alone, never alone, never alone. We hear your word bringing us into the place of hope out of a difficult place of the wilderness, the pain, the ravages, the confusion, the wrong definition of self. We are seeing you bringing identity. We are seeing you healing the pain of divorce. We are seeing a whole transformation happening across family. Because you are God who have stepped into this space tonight. Lord, we want to say thank you. Let the names of the bowels be removed from our lips. The names, the negative names, let them be removed. Libra discuprades. Oh God. Let the brokenness of our spirit, the contrite heart, be acceptable before you. For you declare truth in the inward parts. And in the inward part, you shall make us to know wisdom. Lord, not just a prophetic experience of knowing, knowing, but let it become the learning and, 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 and getting good and, and moving along with you. For we have moved from the very frail ends of your your furious anger and we have entered into the place of your furious love. We have moved from the place of restlessness to the place of your reckless love. We have stepped into this place of power. Names of the bowels, the negative identity is broken in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We are set free. The asterisks are removed from our lips because the confession of the Lord is rising right from the inside with great wisdom and truth 
in the inward man. Father, and so right now, we agree and we speak because you said that, listen to me. You said that when we speak, we speak from the eternal dimensions in you. You said, take this and know it's sure and it's serious that when you speak to one another, whatever you say is eternal. And so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let the eternal dimensions be provoked right now and let it be an unleashing of your power against any demonic prince, any demonic power, any siege that has been upon our lives. Let the beast of the field enter into covenant now by the decree of the Lord. In that day, which is today, I will make a covenant for you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. The best of the air are cleared. And so, Father, let identity flow. Now, let there be healing. Let there be healing. Let there be latent capacities awoken because of your furious love. Oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, God, we give you praise. We exalt you in the name of Jesus. You can just pray in the spirit for just a few minutes. Just reach out to him. Just reach out to him. This is a holy moment. Lord, your holy trepidation that corrects sin, that breaks habits, that we are caught up in habits and suddenly we enter into holy trepidation and we are freed. Let that thing engulf us. That the place of hopelessness is now becoming a fruitful place of hope. Ligi bragado si prade. Mondo bro zibiri di bicato zike de rebe. Mondo bro zike tiki parabado ziki biridibi. And those that fear the name of the Lord, who meditate upon his word, spoke with one another. And the Lord said, Let a book of remembrance be open, be open. Lord, let your furious love reach, reach out to any one of us who is found in any place, any prison house of sin that is defining our world. Poverty, lack, confusion, hopelessness. Let your furious love descend. Let your liquid love descend. Oh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me just read a scripture and then um, I think we set sail. If, um, let me just read a scripture. The message translation. Matthew chapter 18, the verse 18, down to the verse 20. Take this most seriously, he says. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on the earth and make a prayer of it, my father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there. 
as we pray, this is the scripture that God provoked in my heart. And um, I just want to throw it there. I just want to read it over everybody. I believe the Lord is gone ahead of us. The Lord is reaching out. Claudia says, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Is it good to, to set sail? Is it good to continue? Is it good for us to teach? What do you sense in your heart? What is resonating in your heart? Um, I don't know why I'm doing this. If anybody, anybody can just speak. What, do you, what is resonating in your heart? Where, where do you find yourself? There's a songwriter that says, I humble myself before the Lord like a little child. Maybe look for this, look for that song and listen to it. Like a little child, I humble myself before you. And look for this by the same person, look for shining on me. Shining on me. And the lady's called Julie True. Like a little child, I humble myself before you. Shining on me by Julie True. I feel there is a message in there. God has brought us to a place. It's beautiful. All right, let's set sail. Let's let's teach a bit. Let's see if we can cover just some aspect of our notes. I'm not going to load you with so much. Um, these are, and so let's do this. Let's do this. This is beautiful. Okay, so let me step back. Let me just step back. Um, we've been talking about rediscovering God's ecclesia. Authentic, relevant, functional living where we live, work, and play. And we could add where we gather. And so we, we've, we've journeyed for, I think, um, a couple of weeks or so or more. And we've been looking at this issue of the sight of Christ. Where we started riveting on the very principle of refounding, that we need to return to the founder of the church. If we want to begin to talk about ecclesia, then there is a need that we return to not just the characteristics, but both of his characteristics both of his comprehensiveness, both of his significance, both of who he is as a person, both of his eternal unveiling, his eternal unveiling. That eternal unveiling of Christ is something we ought to get right. So we said getting it right last week, just to recap, last week we said getting it right. And this is a quote from William Temple. I think he's an archbishop of um, Canterbury or something out of the United Kingdom, several, several, several years ago. I'm pretty sure when he died, I wasn't born. I, I want to believe so, maybe some of us too. He said, if your conception of God, if your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you. 
you are opening your soul to be molded by something else. You had much better be an atheist. If your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the more I am serving God. But my conception of this person that I'm serving is loftily wrong, is eerily, strangely wrong. Then the more devout I am, I am serving God, I'm pushing the purpose of God, the more far removed I am from the very existence and the presence of the very nature of God and his doing and his operations and his evolutionary um, um, exposes. He says, you are opening yourself. It's better you stop. It's better you come to an abrupt halt and begin to retrace the foundations, getting it right. You are opening your soul to be molded by something else other than God. He says, it is better you are one who is found in the place who has no relationship with God. Who believes that God has no exist? Because the equation is a radically false conception of God is equal to there is no God. We need to get it right. So we are tracing our path, refounding. And we are talking about Ecclesia. And some of you have not been on a call. Where we find ourselves is we've read Matthew chapter 16, the verse 13 down to the verse 19. And we're going to read some more, not today. And um, Peter in the verse 18 said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that explosive evolutionary statement, pioneering um, um, statement, pioneering sight and pioneering faith exercise by Peter is something we've touched on. So we, we said, if we're going to get it right, then we ought to begin to ask the right and the hard questions. We ought to ask the right and the hard questions. I'm not going to dwell so much on this, but to say, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? That question must be answered. What from the opinion pool, from the public, the jury out there, the public jury out there. But who do you say that I am? Because you've worked with me for all this while, whether three years or two years or five years, 15 years, who do you say that I am? And every time we are confronted with this question, we enter into a rediscovery of Christ. I humble myself like a little child before you. I come in holy trepidation, knowing absolutely nothing. I haven't taught it before. I am blank as a baby. Who do you say that I am? So we said, there has to be a diligent search, an inquiry mind, a heart position of the sort that searches after, that goes after, that we don't allow things to just pass by us, but we find out, we ask the questions, we ask the right questions. Why are things configured the manner in which they are? We said, somebody said the unexamined life is not worth living. So we also said we ought to doubt the default and question the status quo. We ought to doubt the default and question the status quo. I am somebody, if I go to the hospital and I'm asked to do a medical test, um, any, any test from the laboratory, I am the first person to read a report apart from those who prepared it. 
I open the envelope. I read everything in there. I take photos of it. I archive them on my phone. I go on the internet. I read about the condition. When my wife was lying in the hospital, by the time I go to the lab and pick the report, I open it, I unclip everything. I open the envelope, take out the report, read every single thing there. Terminologies that I don't understand, I actually have a notepad. I write those things there. I begin to search the internet. What does it mean? If this is this level, if this is this ratio, what is the implication on her body? And then I say, okay, so it means that this ratio, for example, if it's kidneys, this ratio shows that there is more protein going through, the, the kidney is not able to, to, to filter these things. Okay, so it means that there is a net. Let me pray and close the net. In the name of Jesus, that is the way I behave. We need to doubt the default. We need to ask questions. We need to be very investigative. We need to have an inquiry, man. So we are looking at these imperatives of imperatives for divine revelation of Christ. Imperatives for divine revelation of Christ. We will come to look at the basis of Ecclesia. And we're going to return to Christ again to open some vastness of him. We're going to return to him because um, 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 those of us who were on CPC yesterday, I didn't get to finish my presentation, but there's an aspect of my presentation that is almost about four slides on Christ. And that thing... That thing, four slides is not even enough to describe him. From cover to cover, this man Jesus is. We said you need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. You need to move from that place. Now, Psalmist, there's a scripture I love so much in, um, in Songs of Solomon, chapter 1. I think that's just the very first verse. And listen to what it says. Let me, let me read that. Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, the verse uh, the verse 4, it says, draw me away. We will run after you. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. Oh, Jesus. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do we love you. If you go down to the verse, the verse 7, it says, tell me, tell me, oh, you whom I love, when you, where, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, for why should I be as one who, who veils herself by the flock of your companions? These companions of Christ, men and women, I call them vampire ministries. We will not direct men and women to Christ, but point men and women to themselves. John the Baptist says, I am not one of those companions. Therefore, I must decrease. He must be magnified and increased. And John the Baptist, in, 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 in the prophetic environment and operations, the finality of John the Baptist's operation was, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of men. No miracles, no big temple, no palace lifestyle. Name it all the definers that equate to who a prophet is today, for example, did not exist within the presence of his operations, but rather behold the Lamb of God. 
pointing everybody around him, not thinking about who is leaving him, his financiers. He says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of men. This is powerful. And the Bible says, and two, if you read the book of John, the Bible says, and two of his disciples turned their eyes towards Jesus Christ when he was passing, and they followed him. And they followed him. Friends, I submit to you, if that teaching, if that philosophy, if that theory, if that principle, if all of those dynamics does not point to Christ, you must not follow. If it does not bring you to Christ, you must not follow. In the book of John chapter, chapter 1, the verse 35, it says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. The number two is significant. Two of his disciples to mean, to mean the number of agreements. And so if it happened to them, it can happen to us and it's going to happen to us. And therefore, position yourself to enter into a personal discourse and walk in relationship with God with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the lamb of God. The verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and, and, and seeing them following, he said, he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, rabbi, which is to say, translated as a uh, uh, teacher, where are you staying? Oh, where are you staying? Where do you live? And he said to them in the verse 39, he said to them, come and see. I don't want to go beyond that so that you don't get a, a bit distorted. It says, come and see. In fact, let's, let's read. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was the 10th hour. Wow. Where do you stay? Come and see. And they stay with him. This is just a summary. But who do you say that I am? A personal persuasion of the Lord is necessary for us entering into the corporate dynamic relationship of an ecclesia. Let me repeat that again. A personal potent persuasion, conviction, of who the Lord is allows us and is necessary. It's a grave imperative for entering into the dynamic corporate relationship of the ecclesia. Personal, very, very important. So we said that there's a benevolence of the Father, which is an offered provision. And I like using this term and I've been using it for a long time, an offered provision, no work of yours. Peter did not need to do any special thing. All he needed was to just be at the right place and be in the company of Christ. And hearing that question, who do you say that I am? Peter did not need to do any special thing. Buy oil in order, buy salt and sprinkle it around the house. 
these foolish Ghanaian prophets traveling to Europe and America selling salt and water to people. It is time. Amos said, the Lord has roared, who back and prophesy. He said, the Lord has declared, has declared his word out of Jerusalem and his law goes out of Zion. He says that the habitation of the shepherd shall mourn and the top of camel shall wither. The false miracles, the top of camel, the habitation of the shepherd, the sheepfold, the prison houses shall be broken free and we shall run after him. He says, show me my beloved, whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be one who has his face covered and cannot see you well? And then I'm found inside the companions of you, Christ. It says, if you do not know, oh, fairest one among women, follow the footsteps of the flock. Follow the footsteps of the flock and feed my little goats besides the shepherd's tent. He pointed it and offered provision. It says, right beside, these guys come and pitch their wall right by the visibility of Christ to make it look like, talk like, behave like, smell like, do things like God, and they conjure false realities, which does not point. It says, beside the shepherd's tents, Beside the shepherd's tent, you will find me. Follow the steps of the flock. There is great ambience of light coming into the earth of the revelation of Christ. And this thing is gripping us in a very profound and powerful way than we have ever imagined. Hear me out. Peter was told, you did not learn this from human beings. Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, I think chapter 4, it says that when the time was right, I did not need to go learn it from human beings, but when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. You cannot learn this Christ in Bible school. It is called personal revelation out of personal relationship with the Lord. A persuasion, a conviction. The father is willing and attracted to certain conversations and he would jump in to unveil Christ. Who do you say that I am? The father says, I am willing to unveil that to you and offer provision. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, um, 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 but my father who is in heaven, we said. So it takes divine, divine intervention, divine ability to zero in on the specifics of, of God's work. And God's work here, we are redefining Christ. Um, we can call it the, the present truth. We can call it the, 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 the application of truth. We can call it the revelation of Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to me. In Christ, we said all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. We said God wants us to enter into that ever-growing realization and personal apprehension of him, in whom all fullness dwells. In whom all... So we, we started underscoring the issue of refounding so strongly. And we said the founder, the refounding has to do with the founder of the ecclesia. And we're going to come back to look at the basis of Ecclesia. The basis of Ecclesia. We said it is the revelation of the chief cornerstone. If you understand this scripture we have here, Ephesians chapter 2, um, Paul talks about, they say you are no longer strangers, you are no longer foreigners, 
you are of the same household, commonwealth, common wealth. When we talk about the dynamics of ecclesia and the issues of shared life, it said you have come into common wealth. It says if one member suffers, all suffers. First Corinthians 12, 26. We have come into common wealth. If you who is on this call, I might have not met you before. You might have not met any of the brothers and sisters on this call before. When you step into a breakthrough, because in Christ we are all connected, when you step into an existence in God, I step into it. I step powerfully into that experience. Common wealth. It says that built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, the issues of Ecclesia, built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone and being a holy habitation of God in the spirit. Hmm. A holy habitation of God in the spirit. It speaks of a thing of divine origin that is settling in the hearts of men and finding expression and becoming evidently clear. The ecclesia is not a spooky reality, but it is, it is, it is propheticness, a thing of divine origin, finding expression in the heart of humanity, inside the agency of our hum humanness. Let's proceed further, refunding. So we talk about all of this. I can't go over. If I stop this right now, I may not be able to finish what I intend to do. So just look at it if you are new to it today. Um, there is a video out there on YouTube and um, uh, on my channel, Mark Agbeko. You can just go there. Um, you look at that video. We did, we did speak to these things um, in a very powerful way uh, with contributions and comments and thoughts from um, other persons on the call. So we talk about the issue of this unveiling has to do with his significance and his comprehensiveness, nothing lacking, nothing lacking. So he speaks of his centrality, speaks of his supremacy, speaks of the universality of Christ, speaks of the altruistic quality of Christ, speaks of the fullness, him being the fullness, the finality and the horizon of God, my God. Friends, if you check the scriptures from cover to cover, it is Christ. And I said um, somewhere, is not some 2,000 years ago reality. If we want to enter into the unveiling of Christ, that is a very powerful statement we must also begin to embrace. He is an eternal reality. He said, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is an eternal reality. If you read the book of Revelation chapter one, it says that, it says, I am, I am he. In fact, if you read um, the, the gospels, it says that before Abraham was, I am. I don't know what kind of English is that. It says before Abraham was, I am. In the book of Revelation chapter one, he, he speaks to John and he, he, he says that I am he who lives. I am, him, I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. I am he who, who lives. I mean, life perpetually. Life starting out of, out of perpetuity and flowing into perpetuity. Lie perpetually. This man Christ, I must know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Not as though I have attained.
attain this. But one thing I do, forgetting all the experiences of the past, the ravages of sin and confusion and reaching out with every ounce of energy, I calculate, I evaluate, I count everything as dung, as nothing for the surpassing knowledge and the gift of knowing Christ. Say, let this man mind be in you. All you who are mature, who are spiritually mature, keep in this pursuit. Keep in this pursuit. And I say that when we come into this ground and this realm of Christ, and we begin to project it, we run into the ground of conflict. Almost all the things that are lofty, that looks like God, that dance like God, behaves like God, becomes angry because they cannot stand the signature of the heavens. Even things that look like heaven will fight you immediately begin to project the pristine truth of Christ. It says, we, when we move off the grounds of Christ, we enter into a place of spiritual disaster. So we cannot move off the lost grounds without the consequence of spiritual disaster. Let's move further. Today, we want to draw some conclusions to this part, the unveiling of Christ. Then we're going to enter into an aspect of the teachings, which we can do today. So I'm going to run through this quickly. Now, listen to me. When we're talking about Ecclesia and coming to the Ecclesia of God, um, I want you to hold your thought. We, we will come back and look at the definition and the historical context of Ecclesia and the expressions that happened within the Greek um, empire, the Grecian empire, the Roman, Roman empire. And we will um, extrapolate these principles and apply to our work so that even in our offices, we can live powerfully and bring Christ into the environment without saying it and saying, receive Christ. When somebody says, you are forcing Christ down my throat when you have actually said nothing. Where you get into an environment, they will say, you look preaching. Are you a preacher? You are telling me to be born again where you are saying nothing. We ought to live with such great aura when we deal with this issue. And this is the thing that defines spiritual sight. If we really want to talk about shaping sight, like we were discussing yesterday, this thing, the revelation of Christ, defines sight. If you can see him, John in the book of Revelation chapter 1, it says, when I saw him, I was like him who was dead. Everything kaput, shuts down, and a new existence begins to spring out of our humanity. Let me check my time. I'll do 10 minutes, and then I'll turn the whole meeting over for a conversation, and then we end so if we're going to arrive at the Ecclesia, um, let's call it the purposes of God. Let's call it the establishment of Ecclesia, like we said. The building trust of the kingdom cannot be arrived at by the following. If we're going to achieve Ecclesia, we cannot achieve it by the following. One, we cannot achieve it by better ideas or stellar enterprising ideas. I have a nice, powerful idea. I've got a dream. Is it flowing out of the realm of God or is flowing out of the realm of humanity? So everything that we do or that we will seek to do should not extrude out of better ideas or stellar or enterprising um, ideas. We shall not achieve divine things or divine intent by the aid of reason. Number two. We shall not arrive at that reality of Ecclesia by effective administration and management. Even though effective, stellar ideas, better ideas, and whatever principles we are going to illustrate 
all of them are good and grand. We cannot arrive at ecclesia. The basis does not exist in better ideas, effective administration and organization and, and, and management. What God has called us to build, in fact, expand this principle to touch every dimension of purpose in your life. What God has called you to build, you cannot arrive at it, cannot be done, cannot, cannot, cannot be established upon a more effective administrative procedures and protocols and all. Uh, at best, what that thing will do is to begin to strangulate life out of the very thing God has given you, if it is not handled with care. If you look at the book of Numbers chapter 33, it's a very interesting verse, and I want to point you to something. Numbers chapter 33. Let me read it quickly. Numbers 33, the verse, the verse 2. And um, if you read, this is what it says. It says, now Moses wrote down the starting point of their, their journeys at the command of the Lord. Did you see that? Now Moses wrote down. He did not exercise this thing out of a management principle or management idea or better ideas. Oh, this is a good way to just do it. But he literally had this thing birthed out of heaven at the command of the Lord. And it is documented. And these are their journeys according to their starting points at the command of the Lord. So we can hold all these things so dear and it's important that we carry them along, skills and blessings that God has given us, better ideas and all, but let's make these things subservient to the direction at the command of the Lord. We cannot arrive at this thing by powerful marketing strategies and gimmicks. Today hmm, is very interesting. How you can, you can apply certain principles and you will grow a church, a church and break a hundred barriers, the 200 barriers, the 300 barriers, the 500 barriers. And I keep telling people, I say, listen, me, I've read these things, but sometimes they don't work. Because when you bring it into the realm of Christ, it runs into the ground of conflict. So expansion, the expansion we envisage, the ecclesia we envisage, the momentum we envisage in God cannot be achieved by a more and more powerful marketing strategies and gimmicks. We cannot extend the reach of God. The birth of the Ecclesia is not, uh, is not by the aid of marketing strategies. Let me pull quickly. Significant conclusions. We cannot arrive at it by skillful networking. Skillful networking. What God has called us to do or where we are heading to, what is called the Ecclesia, which is emerging in spiritual understanding. In fact, if you look across the landscape of the, wor the, the world in the, in the realm of the dealings of God, you'll find several words emerging. One of them is Ecclesia. Another, another, of them, another is kingdom. Um, uh, the other that has been so messed up and destroyed is apostle. That, that terminology has been messed up. Um, the other is prophet. And I will not be surprised that we will, we will begin to ostracize the word Ecclesia as well and turn it into another reality. And therefore, we need these guides. Skillful networking will not do it. What God has called us to cannot be arrived at by more and more skillful networking. Although we have to develop the skills and abilities to bring the kingdom of God into different cultures by relating to people, by bringing into different mentalities and different cultures and different environments. But networking will not deliver it. It has to be by the revelation of Christ. I will build my ecclesia in company A, B, C, D. I will send a group of ecclesia uh, uh, members 
to occupy a certain region because you, Peter, did not see this thing by skillful networking and marketing, but by the revelation of Christ revealed to you by the Father. What we are dealing with here, powerful Bible study and Bible knowledge will not deliver it. And so when we come into this conversation as is this called Bible study, we want to transcend it. We want to go beyond just talk, talk. And we want to begin to live um, right at the heart, the presence of the spirit of the discourse and give an expression, give better it, give life to it, make tangible. What God has called us to, we are not going to do and in, by increased level of Bible knowledge and Bible study, I challenge you. It will never be arrived at by committees, committee this, committee that, no. In some churches today, they have special committees like funeral committees. And I tell myself, I said, these guys, they are basically just waiting for people to die because <laughs> you just want, you just set funeral committee. Let's wait. When somebody passed, we set a committee to deal with it and we continue. That com committee dissolves after all of the activities. So where we are heading, the future inside God, the ecclesia of God will not be arrived at by committees. And in places, committees have to vote what type of message the pastor preaches. Committees have to vote whether this pastor to stay in or not. Leadership administration by committees and uh, Voting and all of those things will not deliver that intent. Refounding is what we are after. What we are dealing with will not be arrived at by leadership, uh, maintenance leadership style. We are not going to arrive there and build this thing by a maintenance oriented kind of church where it is about deliverance merchants, prophetic merchants, prayer contractors, pray for me kind of ministry cannot deliver this thing. We need a type of leadership that speaks to the power, the glory, the significance of Christ that points people to purpose. We need a leadership that brings command. Did you read in the scripture? It says that, and God commanded, when the children of Israel were journeying through the wilderness, and God as God spoke to Moses, Moses commanded the people. The Lord commanded and Moses commanded the people. We need directive leadership. Um, the scripture says, where the word of the king is, there is power. And who can say to him, what are you doing? Let me check my time again. What are you doing? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Directive leadership. Let me read these scriptures. I'm not going to comment so much on it. Directive leadership. Look at this. Look at this lovely, lovely scripture. Deuteronomy 33, 1 to 5. Now, this is the blessing which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai. Just, 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 just begin to look at this issue of directive leadership. The Lord came from Sinai and he dawned on them from Sir. He shone from Mount Paran and he came with 10,000 of saints from his right hand came a fiery law for them. From his right hand came the very thing that governs the existence of man. People do not need to go to God and debate God. It is directive leadership. God commanded and so. The verse three, yes, 
He loved the people, the people. All his saints were in his hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your word. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the possession of Jacob, the congregation of Jacob. Moses commanded a law, we own it. Casey commanded a law, we own it. We hear the voice of God out of the contribution of, of Veronica. We own the word. And he was king in Jeshron. Jeshron in scripture, there's no time to go into that. It's used to describe the ideal state of Israel. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel gathered together. Did you see that? When the leaders of the people gathered, all the tribes of Israel gathered together. Directive leadership. I can't comment so much on that. Let's continue. Let's look at David. I think my note is messed up here, but just pardon me. Look at David. Let's look at the scriptures on David, on directive leadership. But, but he chose, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has established forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from following the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had, had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his sons. I mean, several things in here we can look at. But the point is, we will not arrive at that place by this kind of pray for me, me, I, 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 self-centered, the bad prophet attitude, cutting themselves and just manipulating and cutting and putting their flesh in this, on display. Let's push further quickly because I want to just finish this aspect so that next week we continue with something else. Listen, we will not arrive there by self-promotion or promoting personality court. We will not arrive there. That was one of the problems they suffered. And Paul said in the church of Corinth, they suffered that and he said, did Paul die for you? Did Apollos die for you? This thing, self-promotion, the promotion of personality cult, will not deliver the strength. By human strength shall the kingdom not prevail. Look at 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 2, the verse 9. It says, he will guide the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength, no man shall prevail. So although some of the about may be very necessary, but everything we do must be based on the increasing apprehension of Christ. Corporately, on the personal level, we must. Remember the statement I made, that the personal persuasion of that conviction of knowing Christ is a necessary imperative for, for engagement in the wider dynamics of the ecclesial relationship, of the family. We, we, um, we uh, well, it, it should be this. We ought, to we ought to move to a more refined sight and understanding of Jesus Christ in union with God. That is something I want you to hold with yourself. Jesus Christ in union with God. And uh, we ought to move. Let me add this. We ought to move to a more refined sight of Christ. 
and in understanding of Jesus Christ in union with God, in union with us. Let me repeat that. Jesus Christ in union with God, in union with us. John 17 speaks to that. Refounding, significant conclusion. Okay, so this is what happened. My notes got messed up. So this, this is the beginning. This should be the beginning of David. But we have, we have touched it. Look at the verse 4. It says, indeed, I have given him a witness to the people. Directive leadership. I have given him a witness to the people. In the New Testament, that word witness is the matus in the Greek. A leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you did not know, you do not know, and nations who you do not know shall run to you. Listen, look at it. Look at the illustration again. You shall call a nation, and nations shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Amen. God bless you. Let's stop here. We're going to final imperatives, refounding next week. Thank you, friends. Let's get into a combo for the next. Um, we have we have about twenty minutes. Let's get into a combo. I want to stop here. Who? God bless you all. I wish it was a CPC. I'll just say I turn the meeting over to Kevin Chambliss. <laughs> 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 oh. oh man, Mark, I tell you, man, this is um this is something when it comes to um and I see why the Lord says you must be like a child to receive these things. We must go back to a place of openness, vulnerability, being impressionable, and allowing God to speak to us once again and not to crowd him with our expectations, but to, um, to be open, to be open, to hear him with fresh ears and, um, and fresh eyes. There is a uh, passage of scripture that talks about how the Lord, uh, I think it's Job 36 and 15, how the Lord opens our ear mm. in affliction. Mm. He opens our ear in affliction. Mm. And, and mm. it's in these places where he looks to speak to us Mm. And he and the scripture goes on in, in the NASB, the American Standard, uh, in verse 16. I think he entices you out of distress. Oh. He entices us out of distress. And so the Lord is wooing us out of the positions that we are in into a better, more broader place mm. where there's more freedom mm. and there's no constriction. So this is a beautiful word here, man. And I look forward to, to next week. <laughs> We bless God. Who wants to speak about this? What is this thing doing to you? What is this staring? Because um, I could teach on Ecclesia and just jump and illustrate all the principles, all the impact, the social impact systems and the cultural shift Ecclesia ought to create. I, we can go into all the definitions of amelioration that Ecclesia ought to bring. We can go into all the strategic power that Ecclesia possesses in permitting somebody's sin to be forgiven. That's a very powerful place. We can get into all of those dynamics, like the courtroom drama experience, where um, uh, when, when Paul was somewhere, uh, was in Athens on Ephesus and there was a commotion, um, it was described that um, 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 the, I think the governor or something said, um, if you have any other issue, I pass my sentence, take it to the lawful assembly. We can get into all of those dynamics. 
we can get into all of those powerful things. But um, I kind of have this persuasion that says, if we don't find this foundation right, we miss it all. We miss it all. What is this thing doing to you? How is it staring you? Where is it bringing you? Where do you see yourself going? Let's speak to it. Um, hi, Mark. This is Brenda. Um, thank you so much for the teaching. I just happened to come in um, like kind of in the middle of it. But the thing that really resonated with me is a revelation of who he is is actually the foundation of the ecclesia. Mm, mm, mm. I, I was just thinking about how and the revelation of God can only come from God. How the revelation of God can only come from God. That's a very powerful question. That's a very powerful statement. The revelation of God can only come from God. You can't find it in any other book. No amount of Bible school teaching. By the way, let me, let me illustrate this. I did not go to the usual Bible school. I was only taught once how to prepare a textual sermon. Where was I taught this? Not far from where I live. A man I describe as my spiritual father in his home decided to teach this thing he was taught in the Bible school. And he just taught me that thing and we use Psalm 91. By the spirit of God, I have been taught. I remember uh, right even before he taught me all of that. I remember right before he taught me all of that some years back. I'm saying this to, to point to something because of Brenda's statement she made. Um, and uh, all of us can speak out of our personal experiences and the very things that God is unraveling in your world, which is pointing back to the revelation of himself. I remember um, Godwin is on the call, Sam is on the call, Godwin and Sam, they are my colleagues way back from 25 years thereabout or more uh, in secondary school. We pray together and all. And um, I don't know if any of them will remember, there was this particular teaching I did on one of, one of the days of vacation where we had this fair completion, Livingston, uh, called, uh, Pastor called Livingston, who visited the, the meeting. When we finished, he asked me, who taught you how to prepare this, um, this outline? He said, your outline is so perfect and so rich as if you have been in the Bible school. And at that point, I had, I had not even had anybody expose me to it. What am I referring to? There is a thing called divine resource that is placed within the agency of man that brings us back into discovering God. It, is, it's, it does not start with enriching us um, to become affluent and all, but it is the basis is that we will discover God, that I may know him. And Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin made a very strong statement that we, we, we come to the point where we don't crowd him with our expectation. We don't crowd him. And that is something I know resonates very well with Godwin and something that has been burning in his heart. This me, me, I, I, I attitude must give way to a pure strand of the revelation of Christ being birthed in our heart. We cannot discover God apart from God himself. The revelation of God and only okay by him coming into our world and giving it. What does this do to you? We have some few minutes to go. 
I can hear Cloud saying, he's going to call me. <laughs> Timmy, how are you doing? I'm Mark. Oh, yes. I'm okay, good, good, good. Who is, who is on? Go ahead. This is, this is Carolyn. Um, I just wanted to um, appreciate you for what you've done today in such a place of healing. And um, I've got to go off the call. I've got to get off the call, but I, the spirit of the Lord is here. And I am so grateful for the environment that you have cultivated. Um, and I just, I wanted to just be a recipient and listen and just be aware. And I just thank God for what I've received from the word today. And um, it, I, I hope that you'll make the, um, the recording available. Sure, sure, sure. Um, because I certainly want to go back over it again. But um, I was talking to my brother earlier today about, about breaking up the old foundation. Um, people have said a lot about people and I mean people that you run into you know I was I was brought up in the church and that was some type of standard of 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 life or, or where one lived how they lived but um the refounding uh that you've been talking about and I was talking to Kelvin about breaking up that old foundation and so I I just appreciate the word of God that has come to me today uh, for life, for healing, and, um, and for ambition to move forward in the things of God and intimacy with God. So I just wanted to personally thank you, Mark, for what you have allowed the Spirit of the Lord to do today. It has certainly been a blessing in my life. Thank you. Beautiful, Karen. Beautiful. I've, I've learned something from you, and I hope to incorporate that in my teaching along the line and really, really expand on that. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen, he didn't say, what can the unbeliever do? He didn't say, what can the voodoo worshiper in my village do? He didn't say, what can that which doctor do? He didn't say, what can the 80s do? If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What is my born again experience? Standing far away and apart, far removed from the reality and the revelation of who he ultimately is. True and true. Every place tempered, nothing compromising. This is the very thing. We read a scripture yesterday in the CPC, and because of the level of packed notes I have, I had no time to go into it. It says that for it is according to the steadfast love of God in his own righteousness to magnify revelation, to magnify understanding. What can the righteous do? If the old foundations are not broken, let me chip in this before anybody, anybody come in. And then I read something on the, on the chat. Listen, ask yourself, do a, a self audit, do a self check. What are the, found, the old foundations? Lord, I permit you to come in and destroy, break down these old foundations, grind them into powder, 
Let the strong winds carry them away. Let me have a new starting point. Foundations. Foundations. Think about it. Think about it. I was studying about sight yesterday before the meeting, and I came across some very serious issues. Think about issues of confirmation bias. Think about issues of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Think about, about this issue of dissonance. Think about, about this image that we've defined for ourselves that does not really fit into the image of God. The old foundations, think about demonic foundations. Think about rituals that has been performed by great, great grandfathers. And let's step into Christ, the right foundation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. By this, I challenge any demonic, ancient, old, fortified, stronghold, traditions, foundations, whether you impose it upon yourself, I impose it upon myself, we challenge it by the revelation of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, we scream it out to the powers that be. Hear us, all spirits of darkness, and the foundations that be that are giving way and dissipating and losing their very essence. Behold, new creation has emerged. And everything has become new. Whether you like it, whether you believe it or not, everything is new. New, new, completely new. New, eyes new. If you have blindness, eyes new, fresh. If you have, you have a lingering in your mind, fresh brain out of the chambers, the, 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 the fresh banks of heaven, the path room in heaven, if you have a limb and you have ligaments and disease inside, inside your, your veins, freshness, new parts out of the realm of God, reaching out, diseases blasted, everything is new. New revelation, new understanding, the synapses of your brain activated, a new energy. I can do it. It's engulfing you in the name of Jesus. Purpose. Is beckoning, is shouting at you. Come here. I have been looking for you all this while. Identity is seeking to ravage you on every side and, and arrest you like a vampire will suck life, at, life out of you. Identity is coming upon you and envelope, enveloping your mind so that you can think about nothing other but the identity of God. Define me. Listen. Cloud, go ahead. Go ahead. Claudia, go ahead. I see you. Okay. Claudia, are you there? I see you unmuted. This thing is rich. Nenita said, thank you for the teaching. There's a divine intervention, application, revelation. The importance of our personal relationship with the Lord remains, remain in him. Temi, John 14. Temi is out of Lagos. So, so we are in Lagos right now. Keeps 14, John 14, keep resonating in my heart. The spirit of truth will guide you in 
to all truth. No revelation of Christ should come from our reasoning or our religious definition of him. Tabi, you've just, you've just touched on something. Let me allow Claudia to speak and then I will touch on something you've touched on and then we are out of here. Claudia, go. No, it's just my mic, it continues to open with my ear. It's just, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Who has a comment? We have some nine minutes to go. Who has some thoughts? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hey, Veronica. Yes, boss. <laughs> so, you know, this verse keeps coming to me romans um 8 14 you know for as many as i led by the spirit of god mm. they are the sons of god mm. and david always inquired of the lord always everything he did he inquired of the lord and so as you were teaching you know i was pondering over my own personal like experiences that i had with the church that um i used to go to you know i held a very high position if you call it that in the church so when i decided to um take a few steps back i, I got a whole lot of backlash some people thought I had um, backslided. <laughs> Some people thought uh, I was going to another church. Some people actually thought I was being possessed or anything. And I just want you guys to know that the uh, when 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 God reveals the truth to you, He gives you the energy. He gives you the audacity to make the changes that are needed to be made in your life. And so with all the backlashes and all the hatred and all the very bad things that were said to me, you know, it had no impact on me at all because I was very, very sure and confident that I was doing the right thing because I, I, I just leaned on this verse, this Romans 8, 14, and I said, this is something that I have to do regardless of what anybody says to me you know if 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 i'm very sure that god has led me to this point you can be 100 percent confident in the fact that i mean you are doing the right thing regardless of what others say pastors have spoken leadership has spoken people have um how, how do you call it demonized me or anything and those things actually they didn't even hurt me for one reason they would have before but at this time it didn't hurt me it meant nothing to me so i believe that when god gives you such information when he gives you the truth you understand he gives you the strength he gives you the courage to make the changes that needs to be made so i just want to use that to encourage people i know that sometimes it's difficult making changes but if you are convinced that whatever information that you are getting is the truth and is the word from God, you have to believe that it also comes with the courage and the strength to effect the changes that needed that needs to be made. 
So that's my little contribution. Thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. We are. We, I, I believe we we just touched some eleven thousand high voltage, eternal eternal voltage in in this meeting tonight. Um, it's amazing. Let me read this this post um, on the chat. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain, just as it has taught you, remain in. I believe this is a strong instruction to us. Just as this anointing, you know, um, I am speaking, but excited about father tonight i am i am speaking but you are hearing god beyond my voice and take this from me anytime you stay in an environment and you hear the word of god this is what you should do learn to equate your hearing to the very instance of god's thinking stretch your feet to that it says, as this anointing, not the anointing from which I'm teaching, but there's an anointing inside you that is teaching you as I speak. Because I cannot teach you. I can use all the words in this world. Kevin can say, any of us can make contributions, but there is a certain grace living inside you. And that grace, that anointing is unveiling things to you. And it says, remain in him. The scripture says, 1 John 2, 27, remain in him. There is something that, to me, you touch on about John 14, um, the spirit of God guiding us into all truth. Um, I think you find the same thing in, is it 16 or so? Or John 14, John 14, same John 14. Look, that word truth, that word truth and the underline all truth, all, 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 nothing lacking. May God give us the grace to be superior in this earth. All truth, mathematics, science, geology, the different branches of science, accounting, finance, economics, psychology, sociology, whatever, any realm of human development, all truth, the realm of God, things that are shrouded themselves in secrecy and mystery of the demonic, of the outer realm, the ozones beneath the ground, every, all truth. He guides us into all truth. And that word is aletia in the Greek. I don't want to comment so much. If I got to do the CPC and taught about the principles of shaping side, I would have touched on that. Follow the Holy Spirit. To follow him, he brings you into altar. He brings you into the word, which is aletia. And the word is verity. Verity. In short, it gives you an idea that for whatever it is that exists right now, what is it behind the thing that made it what it is? That unraveling is beyond science. Let's conclude with this. I don't want to go into Aletia. Go research, go research on that. Take that verse, um, I think in John 14, 16 or so, take that verse and research it. Look at the word truth. Dig deeper, get the expository dictionary. Go deeper and deeper, just break it out you will be amazed that we move away from superficial counterfeit life into a real, real, real life. This is purpose and be unveiled. Indeed, revelations of him emanates from him, not ourselves. The foundation he builds are sure cannot be broken. 
God bless you, friends. I think we can, we can stop here. Let's have somebody pray for us. Let's have somebody just come out, just pray, just pray at this meeting. And who wants to do that? Who wants to do that? Who just want to pray? Just want to pray at the meeting. Just fewest, fine. Who wants to just pray at the meeting before we close? I see Kevin. Hello. Okay, Albert, Albert, just pray. Pray. I pray. Then Kelvin will do that. After. Lord, we pray and we ask that Father, your spirit lead us in all truth, into all truth, and guide our hearts and minds. That Lord, we shall not deviate from the truth but the truth shall dwell richly in us. We pray over this meeting that Lord Jesus, let your spirit dwell in us. Let the spirit go with us wherever we shall go. And when we meet here to the next week to learn once again, we shall give glory unto your name. Father, we pray and we ask that you grant us a blessed night and a blessed day and a blessed week in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, before Kevin, Kevin takes um, over, I thought I, I thought I saw Veronica unmuted her microphone. Is she gone? I saw you unmuted your microphone and um, I, I muted you. Sorry about that. Um, if you have no, a- uh, okay. No, it was a mistake, sorry. Okay, that's all right. That's beautiful, that's all right. So Kelvin, over to you. I turned the meeting to you to close the meeting. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Father, I just agree with my brother's prayer. Um, oh, yeah. The things that he's prayed, we set our hearts in agreement to that. And Father, we ask that these words would be stimulating inside of our hearts, that, that this holy trepidation would remain and linger and lodge within our hearts. We pray, Father, that your word would permeate and that it would lead to corrective action, that it would lead to uh, demonstration of your son being revealed through our lives that we would take on his nature his character and authority father let these issues be real let the understanding of the ecclesia be real let them be manifested truths that flow from our heart reflexively we pray look upon mark strengthen him strengthen his body bless his family we pray and each one's family on this call till we meet again in Jesus' name amen amen it's so beautiful to have you all. I want to say thank you. Um, we're going to shoot out the audio to you. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe in a couple of hours or early morning, uh, on this side, you will have the audio. Um, the video uh, um, will be uploaded on YouTube, hopefully also by uh, tomorrow. And then also look out for the link to just populate your details as usual for this week that we are coming into, uh, we are going into uh, next Thursday. I think that date will probably be, let me just look at it quickly. Next week Thursday promises to be on the 4th of March. So look at it for the registration for on the 4th of March and share it, invite somebody to attend. I'm going to do this teaching and then I'll stop somewhere and um, allow others to come in speak other perspectives. It may not be about Ecclesia, it may be about the very energy of God upon your heart concerning the meeting um, or concerning us. 
and we will hear that and then we will circle back and come to begin to look at the various definitions and expressions of the ecclesia and how we can relate to that powerfully within our world um, if you are a, a pastor leading a church whether online um, in in-person meetings how do we bring this reality to bear upon our people the greatest challenge um, in our environment today is that environment is that environment of darkness god is seeking to bring light and we are unveiling, we are available we are making ourselves available for that god bless you all so wonderful claudia said thank you uh, thank you all um, um, albert thank you all nanita thank you thank you so much timmy uh, okay i see some writing some spanish again um uh, god bless you all the spirit of god is with you thank you thank you thank you friends you can unmute your microphone and say bye-bye to somebody and say hello to somebody and we call it a very good 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 thank you thank you thank you pastor mark thank you for speaking thank you and teaching us yes hello hey is that your voice good uh, good night, <laughs> good night, Veronica. Uh, good night. Good night. Thank you, Mark. Big hugs. Bye bye. Bye bye for now. Bye bye. Bye. Good night. <laughs>